I have a little bit of a reputation with the bass players of, um, you know, it's like a teenage game, like, well, I'm not going to say it. Ben will say it, you know, like, oh. um, you know, if you're in a bar, if you're in a bar drinking or something and somebody says something funny, but they're only saying it to their friends, they won't say it to the bar at large or yeah. some other people. Well, I would always be the one that they would put me up to, like, I'll go, go say ahead, it say it. Yeah, so, yeah. That's a, in the bass community, usually the stereotype is that bass players are really nice, cool, problem yeah. solvers, making everybody happy. Yeah. And I'm like the opposite, so yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that vibe <laughs> until now, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pictures I can't see above you. So these yeah. are my heroes. And I just kind of put them yeah, up there. Yeah, it's great because it's fuzzy, so it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So I can just imagine Like that almost looks like Courteau, but I can't tell who that is. <laughs> okay. Directly it's yeah. not Courteau. This no. guy? This is Federico Mompou. It looks like Courteau. Oh, that's Mompou. Okay. Yeah. It's Tony and Miles. Yeah. Uh, Damn. Charlie Parker and Dizzy. Coltrane and I think Tommy Potter. Oh, wow. It's amazing because it's just a blur, so I can't tell what anybody... Okay, oh, that's I, cool. I could just say anything. That's... Uh... <laughs> That's Beyonce. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's Abraham Lincoln with Beyonce. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try to look for pictures of my, my heroes uh, looking at the camera. So it's always like, I want to have that look of like, okay, what are you oh. going to come up with? Oh. So like a... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like a... Um, like they're daring me to do something. Like, I dare you to write a song that's or great. something. <laughs> yeah, right. Um Mompou or Mompau, uh, there were these records years ago. I used to have them on CD of him playing his own yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's still out there. Do, are those still out there? Okay. There it's were like two there. or three volumes. It was, yeah, yeah it's, I think it's four. I have a four CD package and it's called oh, Mompou nice. okay. uh, Complete Piano Works or Mompou Plays Mompou. Oh. And that's the and shit, man. Playing. Yeah, yeah. Nobody that plays like him. Because people would recommend it and I... I listened to his music. I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's nice. But then when I heard him play it, I was like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's almost like with Monk in a way. It gets a different, you know. Oh, for sure. It sings so much deeper when, when he plays it, you know. For years, I tried to get away on the bandstand with pretending I didn't know any of the Monk tunes just because I, I didn't want to play them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I didn't want to hear me playing them or anybody else. That okay. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's brutal. I mean, uh, maybe not, not for everybody, but yeah, that's, it's kind of like what you're saying, but in another way. But you have a very personal way of playing them. And I really like how you the play them. Yeah. The monk tunes. The monk tunes. Yeah. I, all I hear when I play them is an amalgam of everything I've stolen, done not as good as the cats did it, you know, so it's just like, brr, it's kind of, but I guess, you know, what do they say that sometimes musicians are the worst judge of their own, mm. but it's why some people feel like you need a producer or, because, yeah. you know, the, the musician might sit there like, oh, this is terrible, you know, mm -hmm. I should just quit. And the producer's like, actually, why don't we just repeat the B section? Yeah, something? right. <laughs> something <more> practical. <laughs> But don't you think what you just described of your own is could perfectly, although we have all the admiration for our heroes, could be the same thing that they would say about themselves, that they were trying to 
uh, learned from their masters and their heroes and they failed in a way and by failing you find your own that that's your own thing i don't know if um i don't know if it, because a lot of the masters i learned from were already much older i didn't get to talk to them when they were 20 something yeah so so i never heard what you just said i, I heard something similar but said with so much confidence and so much wisdom and maturity that that it that it just sounded different than how i felt or i don't know like um for example uh andrew surreal mentioned doing an impression of his heroes which yeah. i thought was beautiful i wish i'd known that in my 20s because i wouldn't have beat myself up so bad for not sounding just like because i was just like wow what the fuck i've i've practiced this so much and i can't even get close to this guy mm -hmm. not realizing that you're not supposed to you know you're supposed to do an impression not an exact imitation or, right yeah I was, man i was sort of thinking i needed to do an imitation and then build on that or put it together with yeah like i've heard this uh, this actor uh, what's his name he's a funny guy he plays in those uh, christopher guest movies um so michael mckeon or no the he's slightly younger but he 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 was in best in show he was uh the the spouse of uh you know of um, michael mckeon oh oh that guy he's great i forget he's, his name yeah he's, he's incredible excellent. so yeah. he he um said in an interview he he was uh talk, he was talking about um playing David Letterman because there's apparently there's a movie where he played David Letterman that was done by HBO or something. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, it was about the late night war type of situation. And oh, it was yeah. during that time. So uh, he was playing David Letterman and um, he talked about uh, that he would stress out about the fact that people could just with one button could see the real guy and could see him, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So he thought a lot about um, what he should do. And then he became like, don't, he, he, he arrived at the thought, I, sh I shouldn't imitate because uh, with imitation, all the people uh, that, all the stuff that the people will, the people will only focus on the differences when, when you imitate. Like, yeah. he's, yeah, 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 he's yeah, close, yeah. you know, but, his time isn't yeah. good or whatever, you know, his, his, his beard yeah. is fake or he, he wears a wig or something. Right. But if yeah, you do yeah. uh, something, uh, do your own version of the guy you're trying to do. Do your, present your view of it, you know, and then it and becomes it's amazing personal. that there's enough room. Yeah, there's enough room for all those different views. That's yeah. the amazing part. Yeah. Because when I was younger, I used to, you know, if I were going to try to do an impression of somebody and then I saw Dana Carvey yeah. do an impression or some yeah. some super virtuoso like that, I'd be like, OK, I'm going to quit. Yeah, I'll never be able to do that. Yeah. But Dana Carvey, I don't know if you ever saw him combine Arsenio Hall and Johnny Carson into one character. No, I haven't seen it. Carcinio. Oh, no. It's, I... it's beyond incredible. But yeah, but in that virtuoso way. But then you have Norm Macdonald doing Letterman. Yes. And Norm is not a impressionist. No. But because he's so insightful about people, 
the stuff he does during his impression is what's funny. He's he's showing you things about Letterman that you you always saw but you didn't think through or didn't realize. It's not an accurate impression, but it's like an observation yeah. that a virtuoso might not be doing. Or it's yeah. kind of amazing. So. Yeah. So anyway, Andrew Cyril, like playing like Philly Joe Jones is a revelation to me. Like nobody's going to listen to the record and be like, ah, oh, the, the Philly Joe shit. You know, yeah. that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. But it has a similar power that is kind of what we want anyway, right? We just want the we want the effect. It's not the literal just the stuff. notes of the what they play. Yeah, we want the the sound feeling. We don't want yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's those notes or yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes sense. So this is your this is your piano. You're in your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your piano? I have a Yamaha Yamaha from the seventies. Oh wow! And uh, I grew up playing on it. I mean, I grew up listening to my father play it. And oh. then it, he bought a new one 10, 15 years ago, and then went back to my grandma. She passed away um, almost maybe 14 years ago, 13 years ago. And uh, then my it's, it went back to my father and my father said, you know, you're studying music, you have, a, you have an upright, you should have a grand piano. And so I got it and I've been playing on it since then. Oh, so there's a lot of piano playing in your family then? Yes, and... yeah. Yeah, my father wow. is a pianist and my mother is a piano technician, so uh, there's a lot of piano in. I don't, in the I don't want to steal. I don't want to steal the interview, but I'll just ask Man, one more it's question. it's not. I mean, um, interview. I don't care about interviews. I'm, I I want to connect and okay, okay, uh, talk good. to you. You know. Okay, good. So I, the first time I heard you play, I was very struck by the sound. Mm -hmm. I was, I was really surprised. Um, by how beautiful and together the sound was, as if it wasn't, as if it wasn't hard to do. Wow, and for you. a lot of us, trying to have a good sound is fucking hard. And I, I was just like, man, if I ever meet that guy, I gotta ask him if something runs in the family or if he grew up around. Because you make it sound like, not like it's no big deal, but you make it sound like you've talked to enough people or been around enough of something to know how to produce a sound like that, which is no joke. It's, it's not easy, not only physically, but conceptually, you know, mm. everything. Wow. Thank you. Was uh, that something that kind of came natural through the family or did you put a lot of work into that or, or both? Or? Well, uh, I love how my father sounds on the, on the instrument. And he's shown me, uh, since I was a little kid, he's shown me the great, players, classical and, and oh, yeah. improvising. Yeah. Uh, so sounds of, of Keith and, and, and Herbie and, and Bill Evans and, you know, Mompo, uh, Horowitz, uh, guys like that, uh, I know very well. So I haven't, I maybe have had an aesthetic or, or an ear for that type of thing. But then I had, when I came to Cologne to study, I had an amazing teacher. At first I studied with John Taylor, who was great, you know, great human being, great teacher as well. But then I had uh, Hubert Nuss, who is a who is a, a incredible teacher, an incredible pianist. 
and he taught me a lot about sound and how to produce the sound and he said you're doing a lot of things naturally already but let me help you and that came right in the time when i had um tendonitis you know oh wow uh i was uh carrying a lot of fender roads to shitty little gigs you know because i you know i i was playing little gigs so i had to find something to play on and was borrowing fender roads so i had a lot of tendonitis and also it became through uh it, it tendonitis came through stressing when you were when it was trying to play fast you know um yeah the usual thing you you kind of tense up and uh, he he uh showed me a way that he told me i would i, I had the tendency to already do it in a way but he he taught me to um to put all my um to how should i put it to to use everything from body weight so the 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 note is not coming from here it comes from here mm -hmm. and it comes mm -hmm. it has to flow through here so there ha can't be any tension or any uh uh barrier or something it has to be natural so how how does your how does your hand look when it's natural like does it look like this or like this no yeah when i walk it looks like this so i should yeah. i should maybe yeah. put it like that on the piano um how can i um how can I um, f f uh, work against, like when you carry a baby and the baby is crying, it's tense and it's very light. <laughs> but if you carry a baby and it's, it's sleep, it's super heavy. It's right? crazy. Yeah, it's true. So it's, it's the same way with sound as well. So if you put a very heavy heavy hand on on the piano it sounds so much bigger than if you would just do this because i mean it's natural yeah, if you yeah. if you hold a drumstick like like this the sound is different maybe very light it can be a nice aesthetic but yeah. if you hold it like this which uh, you know just at the tip that also doesn't happen so often so you have to find a balance but yeah. it sounds bigger if you if you hit it like this or you have more kind of a yeah you have more weight to it so he would he would give me all these uh, kind of uh, little secrets and on how to unlock the the um, I mean if you I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here but you asked so uh, if you yeah, yeah, if yeah. you uh, fall asleep and you lie on your arm or the person you're in bed with is falling asleep on your arm and sometimes then you, you wake up and then you notice oh shit my arm is asleep and you then you realize how heavy an arm can be yeah to play with that um help me um and also i really had to practice this you know i'm not a really big practicer or anything of technical exercises but i would really practice that that every time when i go to the piano i would just use all the all the strength all the all the weight and have that yeah. become subconscious so every time i touch the piano it shouldn't be an effort it should yeah. just be relax, relaxing. Yeah. And if I then he he showed me videos of of Herbie playing and Bill Evans playing, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Barenboim playing, uh, you know, all the masters yeah. um, that that I respected on and he respected on on a, on a sound level, and there would never be seen any movement. It is always relaxed. And yeah. If you would just see them from here, you wouldn't notice. You know. 
like in movies when when somebody's playing a piano player they're always moving and you know it's always yeah, yeah, very yeah, unnatural yeah. yeah but with the greatest players it usually look usually looks like no effort no work at all you know even so, keith keith is a, uh, an interesting exception because uh and he says also he himself says you know i would not recommend how i do things to other people <laughs> you know yeah uh, so he's it's an interesting, a... interesting example, and also I wouldn't say that this this is a universal thing that works for everybody. But I felt like it would it, it's easier for me to do it like that. I get I have a pocket theory about Keith that's I don't really believe. That's why I call it a pocket theory. But um, it's a little bit similar to you know Herbie's thing of like making himself get lost so he. He kind of tricks himself into being creative or he, yeah. he forces himself into the creative space of real improvising, which is like being trapped in a room and you're looking for, oh, what's in here? Uh, yeah. I got a stuffed animal and some matches and yeah. an empty water bottle. Maybe I can use these to get out of this room. MacGyver stuff. Uh, that kind of improvising. Yeah. yeah, exactly. MacGyver stuff. And I've always, I always thought that Keith was doing that also, just physically, like, Right. Not thinking about the body and whatever it would take to sort of force your way, knock on the door of like, I want to go in this space and hear, hear things in that space, whatever it takes. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, so everybody sense, complaining yeah. about his singing or his hysterics or whatever they call yeah. it. I'm not saying it's hysterics. Always bummed me out because I thought, man, you're getting some great music. Can you just leave it at that. <laughs> like yeah. it's, however he gets there, let's his business. Uh, that, that's my pocket theory. But Absolutely. It makes sense. How do you connect this to, to yeah. Masabumi? To Masabumi? Yeah. Did you say, I don't know anything about Masabumi. I, I didn't play with him very much. So I have a bootleg of you guys uh, playing. Time. Oh yeah. Who's, who's on it? It's you. Uh, Is it Thomas, the one with Thomas? Thomas Morgan and uh, Paul Motion and Lawrence Dillman. Oh, okay. And also, I have a, I have a record. I, I made from them. This one. Oh, was that Creston's record? Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, yeah, yeah. A great record. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. I, um, I have a little bootleg I made testing out a new recorder. I put it on the that thing with Thomas. I put it on the music stand that Thomas and I were sharing. So it's a little bit bass heavy. <laughs> if I can find it, I'll send you. Yeah, I'll send do. you a clip from that because it was, it was kind of a hilarious uh, microphone perspective. But, yeah, so, no, because I let I in my mind I was I was thinking Thomas is playing with Masabumi. I'm playing with Paul, and huh. we've got like a double rhythm section. Okay. I mean, I'm, of course, that's probably not really what happened, but, you know, you play games in your mind of whatever, you know, mm. of whatever's going on. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I was pretty sure Masabumi hated my playing also. So I was like, okay, perfect. So he likes Thomas. So we, Thomas is set up over here and I'm over here with Paul. And Why did you get that cool, uh, you know? impression? What made you, made you think? Um... I don't know. I just, uh, 
I felt like he was one of those. Do you ever have authors that you you feel like you're you're not in the right headspace to read, or you're not you're going to sort of you can't go into the book unless you're going to go all in. Totally, yeah. Sort of yeah. like you can't just read a chapter and be like, "Oh, that's interesting. I'll come back to that," or yeah. "I'll put it in the pile of the other seven books I'm reading right mm -hmm. now." So, I, for me, Masabumi was a little bit like that. I went over to his house. The first time I met him was at his house. And maybe that was a mistake because I spent the whole afternoon with him. And I I had the feeling that if I wasn't going to go all in with this guy, there wouldn't be any relationship at all. Mm. I may be totally wrong, but I just had that feeling. And for whatever reason, I don't know if I was too old or it just wasn't my camp or whatever I I just wasn't going to go all in. What and, what does it mean for you to go all in? All in? Uh, like to with join him. The, to join the philosophy, to join the the morals of the artistic society of 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 that crew, or the crew of one, mm -hmm. or the crew of the eighteen people in his head, or I don't know, whatever whatever it is that. I mean, I, I love people who are like that, and I'm sure I'm like that too. I I love semi-crazy or crazy people. I'm not saying Masabumi's crazy. I'm saying I'm crazy. <laughs> so um, I don't know how, how to explain that all-in thing. And I'm sure I'm wrong about Masabumi. Thomas would know, would know much more. Mm. Um, and I think... I tried to say some things to Thomas sometimes, like to check my math, because he's so smart and so calm. Um, and he would, I would feel like he was gently trying to talk me down from the, from the crazy, like, yeah, I, I see what you mean, but maybe it's not like that. I mean, yeah. he didn't say that, but that was, that was the vibe a little bit, but I don't know. Is this making any sense? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how to explain well, it's, thing with it's fine. It's but... fine. I, I get it. You know, sometimes um, I, I can relate to the to that to that book uh, analogy, you know, or oh, yeah. sometimes with some relationships, you have to invest emotionally and, and you know, time wise also spiritually, maybe I don't know. And uh, for, for for some relationships that there, there's not the it's not the right time to, you know, for, for, you don't feel, you don't feel at ease enough to, to give that investment at that moment, maybe. So, yeah, I can, yeah, I can relate to without, that. which is tricky to say because it, it might imply judgment, but yeah, yeah, it's not a judgment thing. It's like, I know I'm not going to be in a reggae band anytime soon, but that doesn't mean I like, semi-acoustic, semi-modern jazz more than reggae. It, it, it means nothing like that, yeah. of course. It just, and I guess, you know, when I play with Andrew Cyril or John Schofield or Bill Frizzell or Billy Hart, there's just, there's a no-brainer thing that happens. Maybe it's because I can hear what they're doing mm. and I can, so it makes me more comfortable to play because 
I feel like I can hear what they're doing so I can hear yeah. a place for me. And with Masabumi, maybe I just, maybe it was because of Thomas and I'd already heard them together and I was like, damn, you got it. You yeah. Know? So maybe I didn't even give myself a chance, but I, I felt like I could only hear him on the ballads. When it was faster, I couldn't totally relate or hear what he was doing. Yeah. I'm sure I would have been able to if I had opened up to it, but maybe I was being lazy and just being like, oh, Thomas, you got it. That's, yeah. that's the shit. Yeah. Well, I didn't have that information when I listened to the to the bootleg, obviously, and and the recording. Oh yeah. So yeah. I loved it, you know, you know, uh, and oh, and yeah. I mean, and this information is so useless that <laughs> I mean, anybody anybody can hear the record and won't hear this. You so, know, it reminded yeah. me also about uh, Dave Liebman telling me about a recording on the corner with Miles, and he said he only heard like. He didn't hear the whole ensemble when he played his solos. He was recording at the same time, but he also he he may only have heard like Herbie's piano a little bit and percussion and Miles or something. It was a very weird combination of things that he heard at that time, where Miles was just well, yeah they, just play play go go ahead the, and play. The producer was the producer was deliberately feeding his headphones only certain things. Is I that don't what? know. I don't know how this happened. Uh, he just told it to me and uh, said, like, yeah, I didn't really hear the whole band. I just heard parts of it. And Miles just wanted me to play. So I just played. And he was reacting to that. And in the whole scheme of things, it's beautiful how it's, how it's put together, wow. you know? Yeah. So that reminded me a little bit of what you were talking about, just trying to hold on or to, to connect with, with Paul. Yeah, and that reminds me, even now, thinking about it, I think Thomas told me the same thing about their recording with Masabumi and Paul Motion, that uh, Masabumi didn't believe in headphones. So he didn't use headphones, although Paul and him weren't in the same room <laughs> recording, recording the oh. ECM trio recording, you know, and they sound pretty much together, you know. It reminds me of all the Paul Blay stories. He's the king of that mm. crazy stuff. <laughs> oh my god! Did you ever get to uh, play with Paul Mo uh, Paul Blay? No, no, I would have. I might have passed out out of <laughs> nervousness or something. I don't know. He's like, I mean, I saw him a bunch of times, and I didn't even try to talk to him. I would just, I would just stand near and and listen to. I don't, did you ever meet him? No. Or, no. Yeah. Um, he would definitely hold court, which was great, because then you could just, you could be two or three people away from him so that you wouldn't have to talk and uh, or get called on or whatever. And then he would just be saying the most amazing, crazy stuff yeah. forever. <laughs> was... I He came... We had a band with Kurt Rosenwinkel and Mark Turner and Jeff Ballard that used to play at Smalls every Tuesday. Yeah. And one night, uh, Kurt and I came out on the break, and there was Paul Blay waiting in line to come in. And Kurt was like, oh, that's Paul Blay. He didn't. <laughs> it, it, for Kurt, at, especially, at, I think, at that time, Paul wasn't the iconic hero that he was to me. And I just mm -hmm. about passed out. I was like, 
can I go home sick or call in a sub or like yeah. I don't I don't want to play in front of Paul Blaylock yeah. <laughs> or should I go convince him not to come in? And so all during the second set, I was trying not to do it, but I kept looking at the door like, is Paul coming in? Is he in the club already? And I never saw him. And then after the second set, I went back outside and he was still in the same spot. But now he had a group around him of about 15 people <laughs> and he was just talking. And so I stood two or three people away and man, the stuff he was saying was unbelievable. Do you remember was, something? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, somebody asked, there were some people who knew some stuff and they were like, what was it like playing with Jocko? Yeah. And I'm like, you're you're asking Paul what it was like playing with Jocko. I mean, he was he was already older than Jocko, yeah. <laughs> but it was great. And then and then Paul never said a word about Jocko. He just started talking about what it's like to play in Latin bands, and he was going on and on and on about Latin bands. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I was I was just dying. It was wow. <laughs> Can you tell me something about your favorite recordings of him, Paul Blaise recordings? Of Paul? Yeah. Uh, I think by far number one is the um, solo record, Open to Love. Mm, yeah. I think it's recorded at his house. Wow, I didn't know that. I think ECM it recording like at a house, okay. Wow. I think that's some early days when... Yep. Maybe Manfred would accept that or, or from an artist like that. You know, Paul was famous for carrying around albums in his pockets like, and cornering label people like, mm. I have a new, a new album for sale. And they're like, oh, no, we, uh, we don't have any room on the roster right now for a solo piano. Well, I have a trio album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, I don't know what he was doing in the analog days, but later in the 80s or uh, 90s, whenever it was, he would have dats. Yeah. in his overcoat pocket, dad tapes. and um, These are the stories I've heard. But mm. but uh, check out that record again. I, I can't believe that Jan Eric or any engineer in Munich would have recorded an album that way. It doesn't sound... Yeah. It's a long time since pristine. I listened to it, but I used to listen to it a lot. I think closer... Maybe is I'm on wrong, there. because Facing You is, is... Isn't the piano a little out of tune and kind of janky? Yeah, on yeah. Facing, facing you. you. But also, I mean, Paul Blaise's first recording for ECM is kind of wild from the sound also. You know, the one... Which... which That's uh, Paul Blaise with Gary Peacock. And just it the has, it, duo, right? No, it has it has um, Paul Motion and Billy Elgard on, on one oh, of Billy the tracks. Oh, Billy Elgard's on... Is Billy Elgard on the whole record? He's on a couple of tracks. So they play... Uh, right. Long ago and far away, and yeah. when will the blues leave? And that's a, I mean, a horrible so, yeah. sound, but yeah. I mean, I love the record. You know, it's it's incredible. It's a great record. But I yeah, think it's it's it's, it's 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 his first record on ECM. Yeah, I love Paul so much. It's, yeah. 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 We talked about um, playing with Thomas Morgan, and oof. I want to know I want to know how it how it feels. Yeah, how it was for you to to play with him, and what you, I don't know, what do you think about his playing? What, what's your view on how how he just thinks? Um, the first time I played with him was that Creston record, mm -hmm. and um, after we finished the album, when I woke up the next day at home, I had a really strange feeling that I didn't recognize that I'd never had before in my life. 
and I didn't know what it was, so I just went about my day. And then gradually I realized it was a feeling of that I didn't want to play. I didn't want to practice. I didn't want to touch the bass. And I'm like, well, why the fuck do I have that feeling? Nothing, nothing bad happened. I didn't. I had a good time on the record date. Is this what people talk about when you don't want to play anymore? Or Yeah, mm-hmm. I was very confused. And then mid-afternoon it hit me. Oh, I don't want to play because Thomas isn't here. It's like oh. it's way more fun to play bass with Thomas. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind because I've always hated two bass situations and, mm-hmm. and didn't care for two bass albums. And mm-hmm. I didn't even like singer and bass. And a lot of singers like to break it down to singer and bass at some point in their sets or even want to do entire gigs so that was that blew my mind mm-hmm. and uh, and that's how much i love thomas yeah he's incredible mm. so nice. fun to play with mm-hmm. um i want to talk to you about a topic uh and that's and it's related to two quotes that i would that i would like to confront you with um, oh, nice. And uh, the quotes are about you. And the question is what you expect from your fellow musicians. So the first quote. The, the quotes are about me or the quotes are from me? The quotes are about you. The first one is from Ted Poor. Oh, okay. And Ted says, uh, uh, I read an interview where he says, I feel a very strong opinion from Ben concerning what he wants from the music. He's a bass player that forces me to listen to every note that he plays. Mm. And this is, you know, that's on it. That sounds like a drag. No, it's um. maybe I should have put it into more of a context, but he's saying super nice uh, things about you before and after. And uh, I think this is this is connected to the nice things he says, you know. Because I, I, I guess that's what's hard about quotes or, you know, when you're texting with someone, I have to be so careful when I'm texting because it looks a certain way that it doesn't sound. Right, yeah. Um, and I want to say outrageous things all the time. And also when I'm texting, but yeah. then I look at the text before I send it and I'm just like, there's no way. Yeah, I mean, should. obviously we all know this and this is a big... This is a big problem with Facebook and and Instagram. Yeah. And and one of the reasons why Nick Payton is such a hero of mine cuz he <laughs> he just goes ahead and posts or send and it's beautiful. I people get really flipped out, but I love it and it's mm. at least I feel like I understand it and can re- can see through the words and yeah. hear it, you know. Anyway, What Ted's saying, I don't know what he means by that because my surface impression or my quick impression is that it's a little bit of a bully, bully sounding thing. Like, uh, um, I, but I, I don't think he means it that way. No, and also yeah. I read the whole interview and I didn't take it that way. But, yeah, I know Ted, and I think I think he would tell me if he took it that way. Like, yeah, yeah, we've talked a lot about music. And, yeah. yeah, but I um, why I'm why I'm asking you this is I think we all have certain needs for the music or for our fellow musicians or virtues that we respect in other musicians or that we would like to have around us. 
because yeah. they rub off on ourselves also, you know. I can't yeah. be with uh, people who are um, impatient because I'm impatient. And if somebody's going to be impatient, that makes me even more impatient. You know what I mean? You know? Um, Do I know what you mean? It sounds like a, the Prokofiev the Prokofiev Diaries. Did you ever read those? No, I didn't. No. He was he was always talking like that. It's super hilarious. Oh, like, okay. I'll check it this out. This woman walks too slow for me. I can't marry this woman. <laughs> it's like sort of incredible. <laughs> Insane. But I I mean my my little mythic dream is that I would if I were playing with a piano player, I would want to play in such a way that they don't have to listen to me unless something catches their ear, you know, mm -hmm. like to provide a kind of feeling where they can relax and go into their own world or go into their own dream space and not worry about the bass because Ben's playing the bass. So I can, I cannot worry about that. Mm -hmm. My worst case scenario for playing with a pianist is a super controlling pianist who has it all scripted what the drums and bass should do. And don't go out of that zone because you're going to fuck me up. And this is my gig. Yeah. You know, which is which is fine. And I might even want to listen to those pianists. I just don't want to play with them. Yeah. And, and it's not because I'm a big baby who has to change the rules every bar. It's just it's just not what I'm good at. I'm not good at um, making sure I stay in the zone. It's not one of my strengths. Mm -hmm. So to be fair to them, I'm like, yeah, yeah you probably shouldn't hire me. No, but man, I like the way you play. I'm like, no, 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 please. You're not going to like playing with me. No, no, no. And then I go do it. And then they're like, and I, I told you, I told you you're not going to like it. <laughs> and I, it's, it's not a value judgment. I love bass players who can stay in the zone and, you know, it's beautiful. It, for whatever reason, it's just not one of my, mm. something I'm good at. Psychologically, you're not Musically, uh -huh. I could probably do it. When did you start noticing this in you? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> last week. <laughs> it feels like it was only last week. Um, no, I, I feel like I've known it all along. I just, I just didn't know whether it was okay or not. Like, mm -hmm. is that a weakness I have to work on? Or do I need a therapist? Or, like, can this... Can this be worked with? Mm. Not worked with for a career, but can anyone have fun playing with this? You know, mm. it's it's a little bit of the challenge of um, you you want to be free, but you would like to play harmony. You'd like to be free, but with this groove, you know, it's a musicians that like a certain amount of tightness, but not too tight. And then a certain amount of looseness, but not, you know, don't bring the blender to the gig. It's not going to be that experimental, mm -hmm. you know, this, this kind of, and everybody's like that to some degree. Mm. It's just, it's just where on the spectrum do you fall? Yeah. That's why these words are descriptor words or genre words are so best left to the critics. Cause we, we musicians just don't fucking know. You have no yeah. idea. Maybe even the blender comment I made was wrong. Depends on what kind of blender and how it's mic'd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. 
it takes a lot of courage also to to say no to things you know oh man yeah i'm not i'm not there yet with enough of that courage but that's i really admire the people who who really say no or mm -hmm. or yes you know that's that's just incredible or or who will be okay with the the disappointment of other people you know that's that's really hard for me there's some musicians i love that i can't really feel comfortable playing with because i don't I know I don't play the way that they would prefer all all the way, mm -hmm. and that's that's tough for me because I love these musicians, but it's just something I have to accept about. I'm gonna love them off the bandstand and on records, and that's fine. Mm. Yeah, but it's really really hard to explain, and you certainly can't explain it in a phone call super easily. Yeah, like when I was saying, if someone calls me for the gig, I don't even know. There's only a few people I've said that to because I trusted that we were friends. Mm -hmm. And of course, the phone call didn't go well. They thought I was being passive aggressive or I just didn't want to do the gig. Or it's, um, it's very awkward sometimes to just say the straight, unfiltered truth, at yes. least in the United States. Maybe it's easier in Germany. But. Well, I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to compare, I guess. Uh, but I can only compare because we have this stereotype of Germans taking a point of honor of telling the truth. I don't know if you've heard that stereotype outside of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, no, no, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. I think it's an, it's, a, it's an important topic for a lot of people to, to, work, to work on saying no or saying res, yes to the right things and then maybe worrying about you know, if I say no to this, is he going to tell all his friends that I said no, you know, and stuff like that? Am I, am I going to yeah. be able to sustain a living in this if the word spreads that I'm saying no to stuff, you know? And what really gave yeah. me uh, strength in maybe trying this a little bit was, um, I've read an interview of Michael Brecker where he says like, okay, I work too much and then I just uh, said, no to a couple of more things and he you know as you know he would play with you know almost everybody you know uh, i know that's amazing that it was him he's on so many records yes like, but he said like um <laughs> it was in uh, interesting because he said yeah i wanted not to do everything uh, so i thought about how how i should do it but I th yeah i had to face it i had to raise my my fee and he said he oh. raised he raised his fee, and then and then he got even more calls. Weirdly, you know. That's oh my god! That is the strangest thing. Like I can't sell this table. Well, that's because you're trying to sell it for fifty dollars. Yeah. Sell it for five thousand, and yeah. it'll it'll be gone tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's deep. I never heard that story from Michael. Because, yeah, I remember. LP shopping and like what the fuck Michael Brecker's on this like yeah I know he was practicing 14 hours a day and then also studying FM synthesis for his EWI and whatever like how the fuck does he have time yeah to uh... <laughs> incredible musician yeah yeah um okay I, I want to talk to you about Buster Williams oof wow because I feel like, uh, and I've read a couple of comments 
uh, of yours talking about him, but I, I want to know more about your connection to him, about what you admire uh, about him. And, and because the more I focused then on this aspect or, or what, I, what my perception of, of Buster Williams is, that I can't really put into words, but what this thing about what I like about Buster Williams, I tried to, once I heard that um, he's a big influence on you, I kind of had yeah. him in, in mind a little bit more once I then went back and listened to your stuff, you know? And at yeah, first I yeah, couldn't yeah, put yeah. it together, but the more I listened to you with that in mind, I could put it more and more together. Although I can verbalize it, which is why can I'm I ask asking you. you. Um... Can you hear the Mark Johnson influence? That's another one that nobody. Yeah, notices. honestly, I, I, and I can't. And I feel like I get away with murder, like, <laughs> like we all do. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, I was never trying to imitate Mark exactly or Buster exactly, but I love them both so much that I thought I mean, I'm going to be so busted or, you know, mm. and also, Mark, and I've had to play gigs in front of both of them, mm. and I thought I was going to be just, just destroyed, and neither one of them were angry afterwards. I was like, whoa, this is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, w once you invest and t spend a lot of time with, you're going to come out the other way, you, because yeah. that's the impression yeah. thing that we talked about, because you can only do an impression of somebody if you really know him. And once you really know him, you're going to bring out the, the aspects that mean the most to you. When you bring them out, they're going to come out you, I guess, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully so. Yeah, for sure. Buster is, um, mm -mm. do you want me to talk about Buster or do you? Yeah, yeah, whatever. I, I, I'm just being careful because I could talk forever. Please do. Uh, Please talk forever. <laughs> um, I don't want to say Buster's underrated because, um, yeah, everybody's underrated and Keith is underrated, I think, big mm -hmm. time because of the way people talk about him. I, it's In a way, they, 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 don't, they don't get the, the real yeah, like stuff. Sort of, yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. Like we talked about before. Um, for that matter, Bach is underrated and <laughs> because everybody just says it like it's a thing that they know. Yeah which is the worst kind of reference, you know. Like ginger, oh, yeah, ginger oh, is God. good for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, where's my fucking Big Mac? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, can you swear on these? Can yeah, I sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, sorry. Uh, no, you can, So, it's fine. So getting back to Buster and what I meant by underrated is, um, I've heard a lot of people sort of accuse Buster of sounding like Ron which just is so depressing to me, you mm. know, and, and they'll say a bunch of other things too, which are f far worse. Ugh, I get so upset, but um, <laughs> he, he's, uh, I don't know, just that, that thing I was talking about, about how I want a pianist to feel when I'm playing. I feel like Buster's, Buster's just the king of that. Mm -hmm more than maybe anybody. And I don't like to rate yeah. musicians or records, but, but for that particular quality, I, I just, I just would imagine 
every pianist having him on the list of I got to play with Buster someday. I got to feel what that feels like what that, yeah. to play. And um, I've I've heard a bunch of pianists say that, and they they confirmed it. You know, like who? Um, well, uh, Billy Drummond told me that Cedar used to always say, "Well, I got to get me some Williams." Like mm. it's been too long. Mm-hmm. Like I need some Williams in my life, and I was like, "Yes, oh, mm. I can just." That's how I would think the pianists would feel. You yeah, know? yeah, beautiful. Mm. There's that record, um, "Free Spirits," of Mary Lou Williams. Yeah, which very just much. Listen to this today. Yeah, illustrates what I'm talking about. Yeah, mm. and then of course I've heard a million stories from so many musicians about how people have heard, I mean, how people have felt playing with Buster and Billy Hart has great stories about, um, Shirley Horn's reaction because, mm. because Billy brought him into that date. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nice to have your feelings confirmed or your intuitions confirmed yeah. when you talk to the, yeah. As to technical specifics, I don't, I don't know how to talk about that, but, Mm-hmm. about Buster's playing. Mm. Did you get to talk to him? Um, I've talked to him in the clubs a little bit and I took a lesson from him, which was incredible. It was awesome. Talk about the lesson. And, yeah. um, he else? just, I mean, I had no idea what was going to happen, but he, he gave me the, um, It was basically like a, a fourth lesson for a beginner. Like it wasn't the open strings of the bass, but it was three lessons after that, which was <laughs> which was completely perfect. And I mean, he was yelling at me like, where's that B flat? You know, like just wow. like, it was fantastic. But why, was how, did you, how did you get, coach. how did you get there? I mean, when was this? I mean. How did you arrive at the fourth like, lesson? What was this like five or six, five or six years ago, or six or seven? Wow. Well, first of all, I couldn't play in front of him. Um, he asked me to. The first thing he asked me to do was walk something for him, which, for me, was like the worst thing he could have asked me to. He should have asked me to do my impression of a Chopin piece <laughs> on the bass or something. It would have been easier. Uh, so I was frantically scanning, okay, what's the tune I feel the most comfortable with that I've worked on so much? And for some reason, Erigen came to mind. And then I'm trying to think of a tempo I'm going to walk by myself in front of Buster Williams. And whatever it was, I just start playing. And I start F minor. And then that's it. I had no idea what the next chord change is gone. was. Because I had a feeling like, Is it G flat seven or is it C seven or and then that was enough? Yeah, that critical question was enough to topple the whole. Fuck if it's G flat seven or C seven. I don't even know what happens after that or why. Yeah, or what the hell key are we in? And I was gone. You I were was, starstruck. So the walking just. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the walking completely disintegrated, <laughs> and then he kind of shifted in his chair. And he's like, okay, uh, let's hear a B flat major scale. <laughs> 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 and 
<laughs> it was beautiful. And then, you know, and then he started critiquing the left hand and everything he said was correct and fantastic. And, and I was timing it with my iPhone because I was so nervous. And I kept looking like 46 minutes, 49 minutes, 53 minutes. And when it was 59 minutes, I was like, okay, thank you very much, Mr. Williams. And um, I need to pay you. Like the hour is up. I didn't want him to suffer anymore. <laughs> and and he said, call me Buster and you're not going anywhere. Wow. <laughs> I had to stay <laughs> longer. And, and by the end of it, he was playing bass and singing for me. And it was incredible because I was asking him about his tunes and it was just beautiful. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Any advice that he shared with you that, that, um, that you think back now? Well, he told about... me that classic story that he tells in interviews too of, um, one time in the sixties when he was bummed, you know, listening to Miles and Ron and he's playing in a band that was good, but it wasn't, they weren't doing what Miles and Ron were doing. And he was, um, feeling like he was missing out on the cutting edge stuff or whatever. And he came to his dad's house one night after a gig and was bummed out and his dad was like, what's the matter? And he told him and his dad sort of cussed him out. It was like, look, every time you get on the bandstand is a chance to learn. You need to grow up, you know, all that kind of tough talk. Mm. This is incredible. Just yeah. beautiful. Wow. And I think, um, that's, that's my big takeaway from, getting a chance to play with some of my heroes or getting to play at the village Vanguard or, you know, some things that were dreams or I hope I can do that type of situations. And then seeing the same old baggage of mine be there. That was the same baggage that was in the bagel shop in the small town where I played, you know, stomping at the Savoy on electric bass or when I was 14 or whatever, you know, it's just like, Oh, you again. Yeah. It's mm. the same. It doesn't matter. And so it's same lessons I have to learn. doesn't mm -hmm. matter where, where there, there's not like, Oh, I've arrived here now, you know, mm. the arrived here now stuff happens at home with Bach and with Scarlatti and with Monpo and with, Duke Ellington, you know, that's all at home. And nobody told me that. So how do you, how do you mean but, that? I mean, studying, studying the masters. Yeah. At home? Studying and then, and then understanding. Yeah. Like light bulb. That's the, situation. That's the success. Yeah. 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 But then don't you feel more equipped sometimes with that in, in your backpack when you then go to a gig? Oh, sure. Then you can go do the puppet show or the stand-up comedy or cook the meal or whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I just didn't have the overview of what is performing and what is studying, what is practicing and what is performing. I had a lot of very romantic young man ideas about the bandstand. Like From what? maybe reading, reading Downbeat too much when I was a kid or something. I don't know what, but... I thought maybe it would go into this sacred space on the bandstand or this trance or, and if I wasn't in that trance, it was bullshit. I, I wasn't playing for real or I wasn't. Um, and I remember being very much in that 
in the 90s and then meeting up with Larry Grenadier for lunch and talking about stuff. And uh, I was asking him how, how it's going playing. And he said, he was looking off into space and he was like, yeah, I feel like I'm thinking too much when I play. And I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, I mean, if he's thinking that, time's a thousand for me because mm -hmm. uh, I'm not only thinking too much, I'm judging too much, I'm mm -hmm. worrying too much and, you know. And, and it's nice to have a lot of that go away when you, when you realize the real work is at home and this is performing for better or for worse. It's a, it's a show. Not to, um, I'm not trying to put a diminution on the, <laughs> on the live gig or say, ah, that's not what's up at home is what's up. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't mean that. I just mean for the, I don't need to stress the bandstand with there needs to be magic. There needs to be a trance. There needs to be, otherwise it's not really music. Or, right. I don't need to make some kind of recipe demand for the bandstand. Mm-hmm. Like music is more powerful than than that. You know, the music can take care of itself. And those words, you mean, or those uh, virtues that everybody talks about, you know. Say the the virtues people talk about. Yeah, or? you mean you, music. Music is more than those words like trance or being in the moment yeah. or uh, those. Exactly, and it's not all about you. Like it's mm. you. Just like cooking is not, seriously, not all about you. You can't take all the credit. So you certainly mm -hmm. can't take all the credit in the music mm. if you sound good. There's, true, a, there's yeah. a lot of people that, that helped you. Yeah. Yeah, right. People you never met. and Yeah. But when when did you arrive at this, this thought? I mean, or also... Last Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stuff happened last week, man. <laughs> I, I suppose it was gradual, right? I mean, yeah, I, I always say last Thursday because it's. I wish it was much sooner, is what I mean. Because mm. yeah. I remember a lot of struggles I had in my twenties, arguments with musicians and with myself. They would really get me agitated because I could see both sides of the of the fight. But meanwhile, I was trying to defend my position because it's a fight. But I would get so frustrated because I could see their side too. And I was like, man, I just didn't know how to stop fighting or shut up because and it was a noble struggle and this is a good... You know, I really uh, romanticized those days of what it, whatever it was, 1905, 1910 in Paris when the painters would paint all day and then they would meet it some yeah. rough bar and have cheap, cheap wine and sit at a big rough table and fight each other about who had the ultimate theory of yeah, art. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was just the shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> who do you have these kind of and it uh, is. discussions with? Back in the day, it was a lot with Kurt Rosenwinkel and Ben Maunder and uh, Larry Grenadier. Mm -hmm. um, it could have been a ton of people. Those were just um, the ones who were around and available. Yeah. Um, I know I'm leaving out like a bunch of people. I'm just trying to think. Kurt was a great one because he was um, 
so intense and ready to ready for combat. Yeah. Besides being super smart and you know, and of course, all the, yeah. yeah. Talk about taking lessons with uh, with with heroes. I, I heard you studied with Miroslav Vitus. Oh my God! Yeah, he's he's the guy I studied with the longest um, since I was a kid. Because he had a, I'm from a state called Maine, and he, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, and he, um, he had a summer house up there. So, I would go there at first, and then, and then to his regular place. But yeah, mm -hmm. uh, he was incredible for me as a teacher. Yeah, what was he like as a teacher? Um, he had, he had. Uh, He had this Czechoslovakian tradition, I don't know how far back it went, that was um, very similar to other countries' traditions of learning the double bass. But I don't, I don't know if it was because of the Czech teacher that he studied with or that method book, or it was Miroslav's very personal approach, but it just felt like I could finally deal with the method book and deal with the tradition of this is the way you play the bass, otherwise you're not playing. Because I hated it when it was presented from from other countries' method books. And maybe those method books were fine. Maybe I just needed the right teacher. Yeah. But also this Czech, this Czech method book, I could relate to the etudes. Um, and before that, I, I never could relate to an etude. I, th I thought, why should I, why should I ever play this? I, I wouldn't want to play this or hear this. Why should I yeah. practice it? And the, the Czech etudes were hipper. They sounded more like real folk songs or something. And Do you remember who wrote it? A, um, I think the guy's name might have been Franciszek Prosta, or, or he was the one teaching the book to Miroslav. Maybe the book is older. But we had to photocopy the book from Miroslav because it wasn't in print, and there was no title page. I see. Okay. So there was no name of who... who uh, and we had to pay for it ourselves. <laughs> no, it's, of course. Um, uh, but the amazing thing is sometimes Miroslav would play piano, mm. um, just making up a little chorale with the etudes, fantastic. Wow. And just just being around somebody like that um, was amazing. Uh, yeah, I could go could go on and on and on. Please I love his on. playing also, which is, which is good. Yeah. Um, well, Miroslav was, uh, shall we say, a very confident person, which was <laughs> which was good for me because I love the woods and the ocean and going outside. And the only thing that was going to get me to practice would be that I'm studying with a, some kind of God yeah. or, you know, I have to trust my teacher because I don't want to scrape the bow across the strings and do these scales and arpeggios. I'd rather go out in the woods and, yeah, you know, with a book about Scarlatti or something, you know, I like, I, I still would be studying music, but I wouldn't be scraping the strings. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or go to a coffee shop and try Nietzsche one more time. Or, mm. Yeah, anyway. Um, 
so yeah, there's a lot of stories there about Miroslav's antics mm. with his confidence, which were fantastic for me. I loved it. A lot, a lot of the other students were offended and thought his ego was too big or thought he w was a great player, but not a great teacher. Mm -hmm. And I was just blown away because uh, I thought he was the best teacher. So. Mm. And I couldn't find any other student who felt that way. It was strange. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure I could now. That was just my particular class at the, at the school. You were, you were taught with others together? Well, I studied with him when I was a kid, and then he helped me get into a school where he was teaching. Mm -hmm. And then it was normal college. There were you know, eight other Bay students under him. Mm -hmm. Did you ask him about some your, of your favorite records? That he oh totally yeah yeah uh, kind of some kind of stories that you would like to share well he was just so funny in ways that I wouldn't expect because the kind of confidence stuff that he was talking about in the in the lessons was not humorous it was very you know very confident um, anyway but then he would have this amazing humor I would try to be cool like cuz i know a lot of records and from listening to your interviews it sounds like you know a lot of records too so sometimes when you're around the cats you like to you don't want to just be formal you want to show that you kind of know a lot of records so uh, so i instead of asking about trio music or now he sings now he sobs i'd say hey what's roy haynes doing this summer and <laughs> i asked that stupid deliberately casual young man kind of question <laughs> and miroslav gave me a funny look and he went What's what's he up to? He's did it and did it and did it. Physical impression of Roy that was hilarious. Yep. Like, yeah, stupid question. Yep. Of course, that's what Roy's up to. Yeah, summer. of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What's your favorite record of his? Of Roy or Miroslav? Miroslav. Of Miroslav. Wow. Ooh, boy, that is a tough one. It's probably his own records with, with Kenny Kirkland. Mm, yeah. And John Christensen and mm -hmm. John Sermon. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, probably by far. Yeah. First meeting. Mm -hmm. And um, I forgot the name of the other one. Might be just Miroslav Quartet. I don't know. Both Is of Kenny them on both of those? I don't Well, uh, I think he's on two. He's on two? On two on, on, on ECM, I think. Yeah, I think first meeting is one, and I, I think I forgot the name of the other. But, um, wow, yeah. That's a hell of a quartet. Yeah, totally. I also like uh, when one John Taylor is playing with him. You know, there's another... Uh, yeah, I was nice... thinking maybe John was on the other album. Um, that could be. I forgot the, I forgot the name of, uh, of the record where, where John is on but it's Miroslav's record right yeah yeah I think it's um yeah and it's Christensen and, and John Sermon again yes yeah oh and there's some Terrier um Ripdoll yeah trio with Jack with Dijonette. yeah yeah those are great yeah <sighs> yeah they have a specific vibe yeah Talk about specific vibes. Uh, one of my favorite records is Balladeering by uh, Jacob Bro. Oh, Jakob. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me, I mean, I've, so, I've seen the documentary and I've talked to, to Jakob, but uh, 
I want to know your take on the on the recording. How how was it for you? I was just happy that Uncle Lee was playing so great. Mm -hmm. I was just so worried that he was going to be too grumpy to 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 play, or or that he was going to be kind of dissing the tunes like D minor again or mm -hmm. something. I don't know. You know, with him, I was expecting anything. Mm -hmm. But he sounds incredible. Oh, yeah. my God. It's one of my favorite records of him because it's so special oh, to man. hear him in such a different context, but doing what he does, but but then it becomes something even more special or unique than, I mean, yeah, also, I don't want to... Holiday kind of... Yeah. How he finds those notes is kind of incredible. Also, like, I love how I he think... plays on the on the Kenny Weeder record, you know, the, with, with Dave Holland and Biff Rizal. Angels, angel song, song. That? and that's um, that has a similar quality yeah. of putting him in, in such a yeah. context where yeah. you, you wouldn't expect him to, and then he shines even more. Yeah, either angel song or balladeering, and then on the other side, um, motion. Do you know that record? Yeah, trio record with Alvin and Sonny Dallas. Yeah, I think those two records would would be a fantastic introduction to anybody who didn't know Lee yeah. and then you could say well check out these these two sides mm -hmm. of... totally but that's another thing about critics they like to just keep talking about the Tristano school or you know and it's just ugh, I get so tired of that with Warren and Lee and of course Lenny himself yeah because <laughs> they're all three are bigger than that term you know And more interesting than that term. Um, it's something that I've thought about the, these last days, you know, um, the quarantine or the, the pandemic forces us to, you know, we sometimes identify too much about uh, through what we do, you know, I am a pianist, I'm a, I'm a composer, yeah. whatever, you know. No, I'm a guy, I'm, I'm a father, I have two kids, so, uh, you know, I w I'm forced to be more at home, which is, I'm seeing the, the, the positive sides of that also, realizing also I can do other things, you know, so I was drawing more with my kids, uh, trying to get better at drawing, and then I thought, okay, how did I get better at playing the piano? I studied, or tried, I, w I was doing impressions, as we talked about, impressions, uh, trying to get closer to what what I like, you know? So I'm trying to, then I try to just draw an apple, just see an apple and draw it without looking as, you know? And always I would fuck it up, it would just look shitty and it would look like the eight-year-old me drawing an apple because I always felt about yeah, my, yeah, my yeah. drawing. I like yeah. to draw, draw, yeah, I like to draw, but I felt like my drawing was always stuck to my eight-year-old abilities or something, you know? Totally. Yeah. So I talked to my 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 aunt who is an uh, is a is an artist and she paints. So uh, she told me, yeah, I read a book about a um, a, a woman who wanted to teach about um, painting, and she said she arrived at the thought that everybody draws with the wrong side of the brain, and you're um, you're drawing. And you're you're um, you're drawing a ball and your ball your uh, or or an apple or whatever, and your mind, the wrong side of your brain s says to you, okay, it's is round, so you you draw it round. But the 
the way you see it is actually different. It's a yeah. different shape from where you see it. You might see it and it has more of a elliptic kind of uh, shape. So you're wrong, drawing the wrong thing because your mind tells you it's round, you know? And yeah. I, I was thinking the last days, this is so much connected to music, but how? And just when you said it now about those, those terms, the, the Tristano school or something, that's the same thing, you know, the, the mind yeah, tells you, okay, yeah. this is the Tristano school yeah. and you, yeah, yeah, you yeah, listen yeah, yeah, to yeah. the music through that lens of, yeah, this is how the Tristano school um, sounds like. And this is how you actually arrive at the, the, the shitty cliches that we hate about this yeah. music, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. somebody, okay, this is how Mark Turner plays and you hear a shitty cliche which doesn't sound like Mark Turner at all, but you, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. So what, yeah, did, she, just... did she mention uh, what the name of that book was? It's not the Betty Edwards book, was it called drawing on the right side of the brain? Yeah. By Betty Edwards. Yeah. I think that's, that's it. The book? Yeah. Oh, oh, you read it. Oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. And we're coming full circle with Mark Johnson because Mark has a song called crossing the corpus colossum. Which is which is what connects the two so yeah. Ah, okay. Cool. <laughs> this this school thing goes back so far, you know, that um I shouldn't just say critics. I guess that's unfair because I was just reading yesterday about Pierre Schaefer being pissed off about uh the French having to deal with the ominous um influence of the Viennese school. And I'm thinking I would I would accept that if it was a critic saying it, but a musician. I mean, you wouldn't think Webern or Baird or Schoenberg would be. Um, they just wouldn't be like that as people. And mm -hmm. plus, how many other Viennese can write like that? This yeah. is not. It's just them. It's not. Yeah. If you're talking about Viennese school, there's a very few people. Yeah. Going. Yeah, yeah, we get it's, hung it's up just by, by, those, word. by those words. I mean, sometimes if my students ask me about, like a weird question that you get asked a lot is like, do I have to know about bebop or, you know? Oh, it's a great question though. It's such a good question. I mean, yeah, you can totally then go to that place and, and uh, uh, say, say a lot of things uh, concerning that. But I get sometimes hung up by the word bebop even, you know? <laughs> Because I say all the time, you don't have to, absolutely don't have to. And then two weeks later, I'm like, I want to introduce you to my little friend, Charlie Parker. Yeah, right. Like, and, yeah. Then, and then depending on how you do it, they're cool and they love Charlie Parker. They just bypass Bebop. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't translate to the word game because one time to my horror, Dave, David Wong came up to me on the street and was like, Street, you don't you don't like bird? And I was like, What the fuck? Oh, shit. Like, who, told you, who told you that? And he's like, Yeah, some some kid who took a lesson with you said you didn't like bird. Oh. And I was like, see, this is the this is the the tough side of trying to trick students out of the meme <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't translate well to gossip, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I think we are all left. I mean Sometimes we think we might be, uh, we might see through this game, but then again with other topics, we might we might be totally attached to certain names or 
or uh, expressions that make us think about a certain thing a certain way, right? Absolutely, constantly, yeah. every day. Um, Even with people, oh, I, I mean, also like, like Buster Williams or somebody like that, you know, you sometimes listen to, to somebody through the lens of what your perception of that guy is. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. You, I was going to ask you, you, you said when you were drawing the apple without looking, were you, were you deliberately trying to do it without looking at the paper? I, 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 I arrived at that thing. So I had to, to force myself to not look because when you look. Yeah, that's a deep, that's a deep technique. Yeah. It's really hard to do. It's super, super, yeah. Also, if you do a portrait of somebody without looking. Oh, wow. Yeah, some, some funny shit uh, will pop up. Oh, boy, yeah. Can we talk about um, that uh, uh, phenomenon of hooking up with the drummer? Oh, geez. You know the tough questions. How do you know all this <laughs> How do you know this shit? You're supposed to dream at the piano and not worry about this stuff. No, no, no. How do you man. know about that? Fucking no, I don't know about it. So I want to know about. I want to know about it from you because um, I, I definitely don't know about it. Yeah. You do know about I, it, I, I get, think. I don't. I, I get asked that all the time by bass students, and I feel like it's because they are told that by somebody. I don't know who. I don't know if it's a band director or. Um. I. Oh God! I wish I wish Billy Hart or somebody were here to field this question or or tell me I'm wrong or back me up because I I really strongly feel like you don't do that. That's not what happens. Mm -hmm. Like I any great drummer, I'm only playing with them. Like if I don't know they're playing from before, from having played with them or albums or listening to them on gigs, if their playing is new to me and, and I'm playing as well, the only thing I'm listening for is their, their relationship with the drums. Like if they, if they love the drums in, and, and that's all I care about. And that takes up all my attention. I feel like if I were start, if I would start to try to judge the relationship between us, I would be creating a problem, mm -hmm. kind of an ego, an ego problem, kind of, or a, a control problem or something, or worse, a misjudgment because the brain doesn't work that fast. You know, I don't have that powerful enough a brain, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Incoming, he's placing the high note at thirty-three percent. Move yeah. to the right. Yeah, like, there's no fucking way. Yeah. Like, uh, same with trying to hook up every voicing that the pianist. Yeah. Like I'm there for you. I'm there for you. There's no way. I'm not there for you. Yeah. It's not gonna happen. I'm gonna be a big disappointment. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry about the B flat. You know. <laughs> so it's it's best not even to go into that game. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, anyway, that's just. I'm sure I'm totally wrong, and that. A lot of great bass players will will explain how to hook up with a drummer, and I'll learn something. But but it's my feeling that that would be presumptuous. Mm. You know? But yeah, you have it doesn't mean I'm ignoring the drum. I'm not ignoring the drummers. So no, far from it. 
maybe I can say another thing that would make it more clear. I think of maybe in a basic way, my bass as a pitched bass drum, another bass drum mm. that just has two and a half more octaves mm -hmm. for the, or not even that much, one and a half, maybe maximum two, depending if there's some timbales involved or something. But, um, so I need to put my bass drum in, in with their, with their family, mm -hmm. you know, like Israel and Vernell did. That's right. And, and I talked to Vernell Fournier about this and it's not just, it's not just what we all love about Vernell and Israel being genius musicians yeah. and playing with a genius. It's actually simple physics. Vernell said that Israel was really good at finding the notes that would cut through because he wasn't playing with an amp. Oh, that's okay. brutal. Yeah. So that's another star for Israel because mm -hmm. it's like perfect bass lines. Yeah. But it's also Incredible. based on an extreme demand. Oh, now, of course, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration on Vernell's part, but I love it. It's, mm -hmm. be it's beautiful. I like the image. Yeah. And, and we still have it today with amplifiers because of the rooms. Um, and sometimes the drummer's not happy with the drums or the way the drums are resonating in the room. So, yeah, I have an amplifier and I can turn up or, or turn up the treble and turn down the bass, but that's still not going to... I still have to find the right notes in the right register to be with the drums in the right way in this room. Mm. The same way I have to find the right note for the piano player or the guitar player and I might have the right note, but be in the wrong octave. Mm -hmm. When I when I was roommates with Kurt, we would we would mess around with certain voicings, and try different bass notes. Yeah. And one miracle that occurred was I was playing a D. Under one of his voicings, and he was like, "Nah," and I'm like, "Nah." I was like, "Wait, let me just try it up an octave," and I played it up an octave, and it was like, oh. And I never would have thought of that, you know, mm -hmm. if we weren't doing that slow, methodical very stupid exercise doesn't sound stupid, stupid in the at sense all. of well it wasn't yeah it was it was very much that you know Ooh, try this yeah what if you went up a half step you know it's just <laughs> fantastic i love that kind of stuff i just wouldn't write a book about it but yeah mm. or maybe it should <laughs> yeah i mean um how did we get here we went from hooking up with a drummer to you. Oh, hooking up with a drummer. Such yeah. a good question, which I didn't answer, right? So. Well, in a way, we talked yeah. about it. It's not okay. about okay. an answer, per se, I think. It just, it's about, I just sent, mentioned something and what comes up in, with your mind. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's such a huge topic. I mean, I, I mean, in terms of maybe also what people mean by that is the beat where the beat should be is a more tricky. Um, and that gets back to that thing about whether you can stay in a zone for someone or not, whether you can stay in the zone that they want you to, that they wish you would be in. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you know what I mean? Do you have this kind of feeling sometimes with some people you play with? That they want me to stay that, in a certain... That, 
modus. Well, they like you and they like your playing, but they but they have strong ideas about. They yeah. hope that you'll bring you'll bring out that part of you or. Yeah, and sometimes I like that, and sometimes I don't because you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, exactly. um, it doesn't happen so much anymore because I actually made a lot of effort in saying no to things where I had the feeling that I, I'm called to to do I'm called to do an imitation of the piano player that they like in the band yeah. that they're trying to imitate. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. I might have checked that guy out and, you know, like that guy, yeah. but being in a band like this or being even on a gig like this will make me lose the love that I have for that. You know, it just in tiny oh yeah portions, but uh, sometimes you feel like, yeah, I know exactly what you want from me here, but I, yeah. it feel, just feels wrong to, to go there. Or if I will go there, I will feel very bad afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So I made an effort yeah. to not do that anymore. So it doesn't, doesn't happen as often. And also, yeah. once I uh, put more energy into my own projects, I think, therefore, uh, you make a... Um, once you choose what you do more clearly, that spreads the word a little bit about what, you're, what you like to do. Yeah. But then again, I'm sometimes not happy because, I mean... I think we're all humans, but uh, I'm sometimes not happy because then I get sometimes not called for things where I think I would like to play in a certain circumstance, a certain musical in a environment, but I'm, I'm not called for it because I don't show that side of myself, maybe, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but why am I talking now? Oh, you, you, yeah. <laughs> because you, you asked me, you, yeah, yeah, Ben the Street zones, guy, the you think it's so, yeah. Well, cause that's a, such a tricky thing about education. Like your students saying, do I need to learn bebop? It's an amazing question. It's an incredible question. Mm. I think. Yeah. Mm. And I, I feel that too many people who teach have a have a too quick of an answer to that like what yes <laughs> oh, like of course you have to learn yeah <laughs> yeah yes mm. um at least it at least admit it's a good question is all is what i would like to say yeah that's true because that's the only thing that's going to help them study it is if you take it as a good question you know mm-hmm because you want them to stay in the arts, right? You don't want them to run away. Like a lot of them have been told their whole life, shut up, you know, just do it. You know, just do it and you'll see why later. They've been told that for so long. Yeah. Like, but it's, it's about... And they're re- probably just going to run away. This is another one of those things. Yeah. I just have to take this medicine and one day it'll make yeah, me... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like the doctor says, yeah. And I'm not a studied doctor, but the doctor says you should take this pill and after three weeks, you should feel better. You'll see. Exactly. But that's, yeah, that yeah, doesn't makes you, makes you, make you uh, realize your love towards a certain artist and your personal relationship yeah. to it. Yes. 
Like you don't go to the kid in the sandbox and say, uh, what are you doing? You're just fucking around. Like you haven't studied Brancusi. You haven't studied what? Show, make me something in that sand. What the fuck is that supposed to be? Yeah. <laughs> like you can't. Yeah. You can't do that. So. Is there something uh, that might be a little bit off topic now? But because I I grew up listening to certain guys, and I didn't really necessarily uh, grow up listening to Barry Harris or R. Tatum or Louis Armstrong or, you know, going even back further. Um, so I had to fill in the gaps later on and I was advised to fill in the gaps early on by older musicians that I got the chance to play with. Yeah. And I w yeah. so I know the feeling of the students, young students asking, do I have to you know, learn about bebop or something like that. Do I have to go back? Uh, so yeah. I can relate to that question because I felt in the moments where I was advised, yeah, you should check out some, you know, uh, I would feel, yeah, but I'm kind of checking it out through Herbie because he checked out, you know, blah, 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 you know. So I yeah. had to, after a while, I had to admit that I should go back and, and you know, and this will be a lifelong journey obviously but um, is there somebody uh, maybe recently where you feel like you um, you discovered about a guy and you just feel like you should have discovered him more early or um, uh, a that certain record like you hear a record and you're like shit why haven't you know why haven't I heard this all 20 years ago it happens all the yeah it happens all the time I I almost had a heart attack a couple of months ago when um, this cello player told me that, how do you pronounce this guy, this composer's name, Buxtehude? Buxtehude? That's a... Yeah, how do you pronounce... Oh, I don't know it, that guy. Isn't he German? I mean, he's there's, the there's a town uh, that co that's called like this, Buxtehude. Okay, it's so, the one that, the organist that Bach walked across Germany to study with when he was oh, okay. 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. He wrote a lot of organ music. Mm. And this cellist told me, oh, yeah, we were playing the Buxtehude string trio. And I'm like, there, there are string trios from, I, I have oh. no, and I was totally blown away. And why didn't someone tell me when I was, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad to know you don't know, even know Buxtehude's music. That makes me yeah. feel better. Yeah. So yeah, I will you'll, check love, it out. yeah. you'll totally love it. Yeah. Um, and then there's always all these, um, composers who, for whatever reason, decided to do soundtracks instead mm -hmm. or emigrated to Hollywood from yeah. Eastern Europe or somewhere in Europe. And they're incredible. I mean, it's Absolutely, just like, yeah. I can't even watch the movie. I'm like, where's my sampler? You know, it's yeah. just, or if I'd heard that voicing when I was 20 or whatever, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like... cause it's another it's another way of doing doing this voice leading that I didn't want to do it because then I would be it's too much Herbie. But then here's this motherfucker doing it in an equally elegant way that's another solution than Herbie's. And I'm like, oh, yeah. why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Like, it's just happening constantly. Like, mm. Oh, I don't want to disrespect Herbie and, yeah, or yeah, Keith. Yeah. And then, but there's, a th there's always a thousand, if you think in voice leading ways, there's always... And um, I think Barry, Barry is such a good example of that. Um, 
because I never I never listened to Barry when I was younger because I was I was being I guess kind of an idiot and thinking I only have a limited amount of time I'm going to listen to Bud and Bird you know and I, I did that with Sonny Stitt too a lot and and now that I I don't know have more time or just <laughs> Whatever I say is going to sound terrible. It's not like I'm done with Bud and Bird. Like yeah, now yeah. that I've yeah. have all their records memorized, it's not that. It's just I guess because getting to see Barry live and is so different than Bud anyway. Like everybody is, um, and just the way he talks about Bud and Bird is so beautiful. Yeah. And and the way that that you can think of a scale, but not be not be shut down by vertical traps. You can still maintain your horizontal approach, mm. even still with a scale. So there is no more fight between scale and chord or horizontal and vertical. Mm. They are just two ways of saying the same thing. And I'm not very smart, so I I am apt to have those kind of fights. Like, fuck the voicing. You know, don't talk to me about chord scales. That's bullshit. You know, it just has to be horizontal voice leading and shut the fuck up, Mm. which is true for me. Mm. But at the same time, there's no reason to be scared of voicings or vertical, vertical towers because um, they're gorgeous Mm. and it's the piano and a a lot of the piano. And you, um, as long as you know that, the, the voice leading is the real game and and that is the real deal you can make all those towers all you want it's not going to be it's not going to be a problem mm. am i making any sense that makes so, sense yeah okay okay yeah mm. and i and i think barry's really good at at showing ways that scales can be very wonderful and magical and musical and explorative yeah yeah. Never sound like scales with him, you know. Never yeah. sounds like meh or meh. <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever go to one of his uh, classes? No, because I was also probably stupidly thinking that it was a little bit like the Masabumi thing. Like, unless I'm going to be all in, I'd I'd rather stay away from the class because I want to keep liking it from a little bit of a distance. Yeah. I don't want to get pissed off. I don't want to get pissed off when Barry says something negative about Miles or I'm such a baby about certain people. If anybody disses Miles, I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, like, <laughs> I'll run and yeah. run to the ocean or something. Yeah, and yeah, um, um, yeah that's, and the people I play with are never going to say anything negative about Miles. I guess there's some connection there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I always end up gravitating towards the people who worship Miles somehow. I don't know. It's like, yeah. it's like, Same here. Yeah. Same here. It's interesting. Mm. Meanwhile, I'm sure every negative thing Barry says about Miles is totally true. I'm, of course, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but I, I just can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. I heard an incredible, saw an incredible video of him totally putting down Bill Evans. Oh, like that I can to handle because I've heard to it. The bone. I've heard it so much since I was a kid, hmm. especially from pianists. Putting Bill Evans down. Oh my God! Yeah, 
Oof. So I can I can take it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. It still hurts a lot, but yeah. I can. <laughs> I'm a little more used to it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I still. If I start thinking about it, I get really upset because it's just like. It's like also the thing with Keith. Like, what does somebody have to do? You know, is it because Bill didn't cook dinner for you or didn't send you a letter saying he loved your record so much and you're the better pianist? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what Keith or Bill or Miles had to do more than they already gave us. That's like, mm. my God. Yeah. For people who gave us that much, it's like. It was amazing that you asked Mark about that record, Affinity. I never hear people talk about that record, and that's mm. that's one of my Desert Island records oh, for sure. Yeah, it's incredible. Oof, wow. Even they they play um, what is it? Uh, Blue and green, you know. Yeah. And to attempt to play that, I mean, obviously Bill, Bill Evans is allowed to <laughs> attempt to play this. Because you know he was pretty much involved with the most most of it, I guess. But I think he wrote the whole tune, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I think Bill gave him that. I mean, Miles gave him that first voicing. He said, with the E on top. Yeah, but then do you know? So can you do something with this? Yeah, that's the story that I heard Bill say. Did you hear that? The yeah. The one fucking voicing, the E on top. But yeah, can did, you do something with this? Did you hear the the intro of? Bill Evans playing the outtakes. No, the, the intro of Bill Evans playing alone together with um, Chet Baker in, I think, fifty-eight or fifty-nine. Yeah, that's pretty much blue and green oh. to me. You oh, know. Okay, there you go. So he it might not have even. Maybe Bill was being nice by saying there was a voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, I, I definitely don't care. Um, yeah, because. I don't care if Miles never wrote any composition. But, yeah. Um, uh, um, something I was going to say. Oh, yeah, Blue and Green. What about um, Days of Wine and Roses? Oh, yeah. And Body and Soul. I mean, I love that I love that tune anyway. Yeah, and Body and Soul. But just the fact that they're such old chestnuts and they're doing them. And, and the Phil Markowitz tune, like. Snowpiece. Wow. Yeah. It's, such a, it's an insane set list for that yes. record. Yes. Wow. Jesus's last ballad. Who? Mm -hmm. Oh, and also, my God, my maybe my favorite track in a way, the Paul Simon tune. I do it for your love. Oh, my God. Ooh. Yeah. Incredible. The reharmonization wow. is 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 uh, so out there. What he does with it, you know, mm. that's sometimes nice. I mean, we keep talking about teaching, but Sometimes the cheap way out is telling your student what to to do, and then he they come with, you know, I did this with that because I always, you know, um, I always wanted to know about the reanimonization about of uh, I do it for your love, and I was I think I was in on vacation, so I didn't have a piano, I didn't you know I was playing with the kids, didn't really deal with music, but somehow I I, I thought of that tune. Oh shit! I always wanted to. Oh, I know what I do. <laughs> Called one of my students right from the out of the vacation and said, "You know, oh wow! In a couple of weeks, I want you to because 
I want you to transcribe Paul Motion, uh, Paul Motion, Paul Simon's recording of "I Do It for Your Love." I want you to transcribe Bill Evans' version and Herbie's wow. version because they all did it and they all did it oh, differently. Oh, Herbie did it on yeah. What, on it, the, I, I mean, on, uh, possibilities. No. Oh kind of shit! I got I haven't heard that. I got to yeah. Check that I mean, there's some there's some gems on that record, but not all of it is, is my favorite Herbie stuff. But you oh, know, you can say stuff like that on this on this. Um podcast or whatever did. you call it. I've been trying to hold back. <laughs> no, I mean, you can take the wherever just, you want. I'm just playing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, Herbie also did it. So, so my, my, my student came with, with the comparison of those three things and nice. uh, that was a cheap way out of my, on my part, but still, you know, it was, it was an incredible lesson for me because I learned so much, you know, of him yeah. having to, to show it to me, um, and uh, yeah, what Bill that does. That Simon version is killing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's killing on its own right, you know. So that's already yeah, yeah. that's already um, to. It's hard to predict where it's going harmonically, you know, on the on that already. Oh yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. and then, but what Bill did with it, also, yeah. and how it makes sense on an harmonical level, you know, you know, yeah, addressing all the functions of the chords. But going somewhere yeah. totally different is is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's an incredible record, and also the sound. I love the sound, and I think it was also. Didn't Mark say? I don't remember from the interval, but didn't he say it was recorded in the same studio as Thirtieth Street? I I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. That's that that maybe the similar piano. Um, uh, but I think, I mean, I had a slight, I knew what you meant about Bill's sound on, a, on affinity, but I need to go back and check my math on this a little bit, but I feel like it's not just affinity f for Bill. I feel like the whole last three years or especially maybe a year and a half, his sound changed a lot and became like in a way it was a return to the fifties, but mm -hmm. with some other world weary kind of Durafle and foray kind of, I don't know. There was a kind of, I'm not being sentimental. I thought this when I was a kid too, uh, at the time, cause that record came out when I was like 13 or something. And mm. I remember just feeling like there was a, um, that requiem feeling like somebody who's mm -hmm. lived more of life and is thinking of there's so much more air in Bill's sound. I mean, his sound was never bad, but it was, no. you know, his sound on, um, um, young and foolish on the, the record with Sam Jones and Philly Joe, uh, everybody digs Bill Evans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That has intimations of, when I when I listen to that the ballads on that record and then Affinity and some of the other stuff at the end of his life, even the live bootlegs, mm. he's got this he's got this thing that's kind of closer to Horowitz or something. I don't know. It's, yeah. Or uh, Michelangelo, you know. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Oh, he checked that guy out. He 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 liked that. Piano it sounds player. like yeah. it. Doesn't mm -hmm. he sound like Michelangelo? Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. 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 Maybe Have I'm... you got that video of um, 
Chili Badachi and Michelangeli oh. playing Ravel. Oh. <laughs> yes. You see this the part where somebody coughs and Chili Badachi <laughs> gets super pissed. It just killed during the, the music. second movement, during the slow movement. Yeah. 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 Yes, that's uh, one of the, I mean, that's a masterwork. And also, I mean, their the recording of it. And, and when I found out yeah. that Miles and, and Bill uh, were listening to that recording before they oh, did kind of blue, know you that. know? Okay. Oh, and also, you, yeah. you know, it has one side. Let me see, let me see where it is. One, one second. So there you go. Oh yeah, yeah. So one oh, so side. That was in the fifties. Yeah. So let me see when. That's it was... Chili Bedacci. Chili is conducting that. Yeah, but but the video you're talking about is not from that year. That's uh, I think that's uh, beginning of the seventies. Right, right. So, but the record is from fifty-eight. Man, Chili Badachi must have been pretty young. Yeah. So also Rachmaninoff's uh, fourth piano concerto is on that. Wow. Okay, I gotta and get there. There, there yeah. are. So, I mean, the the first couple of notes from the piano sounds like Bill. You know. Yeah. Nice. Okay, I gotta check in. He's a good mimic. Wow. Yeah. Bill is another person we could talk about all day. That would be yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Much to a few of my friends' horror, but yeah. <laughs> as much as I would like to talk to you about Bill Evans, I want to go back to the topic. <laughs> <laughs> I want to yeah, go back to the, No, I, I want to go back to the topic of drummers and you with yeah drums. sure of course of course of course yeah um because i just want to know i mean if you compare like the first moment you t play with B bill stewart the first time and the first time mm -hmm. you you play with billy hart or with tutti heath i mean what happens in the first moment where you play with somebody like that because you have to feel it out in a way um, and it's, 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 I'm sure it's different with everybody. I, I mean, I know it myself from playing with other people, but that bass and drums relationship is such a special one. Yeah, yeah. I got, um, you're saying the first time I played with Bill Stewart versus the first time I played with could Bill be anybody or someone, but you like, like. That. Uh, that older, old, older generation. Older and, generation, yeah. You know, Versus as opposed, to, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Um, well, for sure, I think I was more nervous to play with Bill Stewart the first time than I was um, Billy Hart. Or, um, because I guess I thought... Um, I don't know when when I play with people that are close to my age but far ahead of me musically I feel like the dumb shit that takes me forever to figure out they're going to hear so clearly in a way that the masters might be more forgiving or this might be just eh, another gig with whoever the fuck is on bass Joe Schmo on bass <laughs> over here I'm getting paid what I asked for. I'll get through it. I've done it before. I don't know. I, there yeah. might be a little bit more of that vibe. Whereas somebody like Bill, who is so fierce and so smart and so 
so great at such a young age. Of course, I envied that at at that age. The first time I heard him, I was just like, what the fuck? How did he figure out mm -hmm. the way? You know, that's the uh -huh. shit. How, how the fuck do you do that? I'm still busy having boxing matches in my head with Eddie Gomez and Wilbur Ware and Wellman Broad and Slam Stewart and um, Pops Foster. And Bill's just like, shoom, straight to the point, killing, let alone the cymbal choices and the drum tunings and the minutia of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, that was more nerve wracking psychologically, I think. Um, not that I didn't give a fuck playing with Billy of Hart. Of course I, yeah. of course I was terrified. Uh, the first time I played with Tootie was a little different because, um, of course I, I was in terror of Tootie as well, but I was in greater terror of Percy and I just didn't want anything to do with any of the Heaths. I wanted <laughs> to never see them. And that was confirmed by two times meeting Percy and having a, a really hard time. So I was like, man, fuck me and the Heaths. Not fuck the Heaths, but fuck yeah. me and them. That's not, that doesn't need to happen. I'm, I'm good at home. Mm. At home with the Heaths is perfect for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there I am on the bandstand, thanks to Ethan with Tootie. And I'm just staring at the ground like, fuck. I'm so sorry, Tootie. I'm so sorry. I'm not Percy. I'm not even close. And I probably tried more than Richard Davis, more than any Percy lover. I, I never met a bigger Percy lover than me or someone who studied him. I'm sure there are. I just didn't meet them. So that made it even worse because I'm like, wow, after all that study, this is the sad shit that I'm actually doing with his brother. So that was a pretty horrible and it was recorded. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> but, you know, as it goes with art, it doesn't sound that bad when I listen to it now. No, it doesn't. So that's really weird mm -hmm. how that happens. Mm. Really, really weird. I don't, I don't know what the takeaway is from that. That's what's tough trying to teach. Mm. You know, kid, you got to be terrified or you won't. I mean, what is the takeaway from some kind of story like it's um, crazy? It doesn't have to be a takeaway on first sight or what, I mean, just the story is enough sometimes, I guess. Yeah, maybe so. Hopefully. But uh, it would be nice to learn something once in a while, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that's what the students do for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let them do it. <laughs> mm. Your story about the three versions of, of that tune is great. It, it's like a story I heard about Rand Blake one time. Someone asked him how his students were this year, and he said, you know, um, I don't feel I'm learning as much from them as some students in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. I can relate to that. You know, I, sometimes yeah. you feel like, shit, I think I, I'm learning more than they are. Yeah. You know? Not yeah, because I yeah. give them assignments that they do for me or something. No, but uh, I mean, every every lesson I, I have a revelation of some sort. Like, shit, this, yeah, this is how it works. Or, oh, you can do this as well. Or, Yeah, 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 yeah. Because sometimes it it's takes incredible. somebody else to, to um, tickle you in some way for you to be like, yeah, uh, how, how about we try this? 
you know, because I don't have a method when I'm teaching. Totally yeah. not, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, the basic method of study the masters, or you know, uh, if you don't have something in your playing, go where somebody else has that quality. Exactly. That, that's the basic method, you know. But but apart from that, you know, my time is bad, or uh, I don't know enough voicings. Yeah. I don't have a method exactly. or something. Okay, here's what you do, and you do it three times a day, and uh, you'll feel better after yeah, a week. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't, I don't have that, so I have to make up stuff as I go along when I teach. So as, yeah. then this is when I find out stuff for myself also. That's so. the shit. Wow, that's like I used to go take lessons with Roman Diaz, mm -hmm. and he would say in Spanish at the beginning of the lesson, "What what are we doing?" <laughs> Which was. Yeah. But with with this look, like, why are we even doing this? Or why are we here? Like, what's the... It is, which is just the perfect opening question. Yeah. <laughs> why did you come to my house? Yeah, it's great. Um, maybe uh, connected to the bass drums thing, I'm curious about your thoughts on phrasing, feel... Because um, when I think about your playing, talk about your playing with Billy Hart, maybe, um, there's things, you have a very clear way of playing, super clear. But then again, in all its clarity, you leave room, maybe deliberate, maybe not, um, for me, me, uh, the listener, to interpret the stuff i can sometimes interpret stuff that you play as being something that's super ex uh, exciting of course but uh, super precise on a rhythmical level but then again if i listen to the same note again i can also hear it as something that's loose and ma malleable you mm. know what i mean yeah, yeah. and i think yeah. that works so well uh, with somebody like billy you oh know? man totally and uh, I don't know, maybe you can tell me your thoughts on this. Well, I got that confirmed one time in the early days of playing with Billy that I was trying to figure out how best to play with him, of course. And of course, I still am, but I was really in the weeds in the beginning. And at one point, we were playing a very slow song, and he was making very big circles which I felt very comfortable with. And I was straying into the edges of those circles also and feeling great. And then a voice came saying, what the fuck are you doing? He needs probably the center of the circle so that he can, you know, you can't, you don't deserve to be out there in the party with him. You should be in the center of the wheel. Mm. So I went to the center of the wheel. Yeah, boy, I learned my lesson tonight. I'm doing such a great job for Billy. He's going to love this. He turned around and gave me this look that I will never, ever forget. I've seen my baby daughter give me that look sometimes. And mm -hmm. it, it's a amazingly complex, very clear, but very multi-leveled look. Like, how could you? How dare you? Mm. What are you doing? What's your point? I thought we were friends. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many levels to that look. Mm -hmm. And I fucking never did that again. Never tried to be smart and correct and professional again. And it's, I think it's worked out better, mm -hmm. but, but the ethos was correct. 
to try to to try to give up the space to someone else to not to not try to be like yeah yeah can I have your ice cream cone too yeah. <laughs> looks like you're really enjoying that like mm -hmm. you, you can't do that you know uh, so it's there is something to well B Billy told me that he he likes to call it taking turns because um, he said Jimmy Garrison told him that because Billy said it took him a while to ask Jimmy, but he finally said, how did you do it? How did you do it with Alvin? And Jimmy said, we took turns. And that's just beautiful, you know, mm. and that's. And you have to, because I was also guilty of being too straight many times with Billy, like, oh, the magic is over there, everybody. Hey, everybody. That's where the show is. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was being so humble and so good, good boy. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's a horrible thing to do to somebody, to force them to carry the whole show, do all the magic. And mm -hmm. once I realized, and he had been subtly, very subtly, as you know, Billy, trying to get me to play more without saying that for years. And finally, when I, when I started playing more, it, it was still hard. I was thinking, man, this is not your place. This is, it's time for everyone to totally listen to Billy and everyone else is a frame or a janitor or a lighting specialist or something. But um, I don't know. That's another thing I learned from Buster. Just like Buster's incredibly aggressive, incredibly charming, incredibly infectious super powerful growling shit doesn't detract from Mary Lou who's mm -hmm. very much more like John Lewis or she's not she's not Rachmaninoff or Art Tatum or anything mm -hmm. and that kind of monster base is not detracting from her at all so mm -hmm. it's amazing if anything quite the opposite yeah and that creates super exciting tension and also uh then directs the attention, of course, to the to the whole thing as one, but also like, okay, how what's she gonna do with that? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's beautiful. And she sounds so comfortable. Oh yeah. She really sounds like she's in her space to dream, like like she's at home alone. It's incredible with mm -hmm. him in particular. And also her with Ronnie Boinkins can get that feeling too. There's there's just a video with Stan Getz. I don't know if you've seen that. They're playing um, Little Girl Blue or something like that. I think it's outdoors in California. It's on YouTube. Stan Getz. And that's Sun Ra's bass player. And that's, uh, that's Ronnie Boinkins. in the in the in the 80s or something. It's like in the late 70s, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe in Napa Valley or something. It it's, might be that I've seen like, it, but it's beautiful. I have to look yeah. at it again, I guess. I, I read that you studied with, uh, also studied with uh, Henry Threadgill, or studied his music, or worked with him, or where did you get uh, this? I only worked with him, uh, um, was it just once? On David's Because record? he came down with David, yeah, and we were playing at the Vanguard with Roman and Andrew Cyril, and Henry came and played a set with us of mm. Henry's music, mm -hmm. so we rehearsed for that. <laughs> um, was that uh, but like? I've mainly known Henry from the East Village just being, he spends a lot of time out, he used to anyway, at this one cafe or out in front of his house. So, 
and he was always open to talking. So I, he's the kind of person you could go up and actually tell the truth to. You know, if he said, how's it going, you could actually tell him. And yeah. then it would be a amazing discussion. Mm. You wouldn't have to say it's going good or can I ask you something? You could just jump into it. And he always hooked me up with great advice. And like what? And I would test, I would test him sometimes because I would give him really hard stuff. I wouldn't hold back as a challenge, kind of, because he's so brilliant and mm. he always delivered. You know, mm. uh, just amazing. Uh, he's really, yeah, he's really something. But I didn't study with him. I, I probably should have, but. Um, <laughs> What was it like to rehearse with him or to play with him? Well, I was going to say, yeah, it was hard for me to, I wasn't drawn naturally to his notation system, maybe the way David was, I guess. I never really asked David about this, but um, I, I loved that he had another notation system. I think that's great. I, I think it would be amazing if every composer had their own mm -hmm strong opinions about notation, but um, I don't know. It's hard for me because a lot of these geniuses, it's like um, Paul Blay, Henry Ornette. There's a lot of people, not, not a lot. There's a few of those people that I just kind of a little bit stayed away from because I felt like for someone like me, who's a much slower learner or not, not as gifted to be around them, there's going to be a fair amount of, it's going to be a fair amount of weight on their ankles or a drag. So unless I'm fully, fully all in to that, then it's best to just do it at home or something. Mm -hmm. Unless, unless it's somebody that I could hear, hear more of the whole package in a natural way, like, and there's very few musicians who I, I have that with. Like, if Jimmy Garrison were alive today, I would be sitting on his doorstep doing the Sonny Rollins to Coleman Hawkins thing. I would yeah. have no problem having that confidence of being like, no, 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 I'm coming in there. It might not be today, but mm. you know, one of these days I'm coming in, I'll do the dishes, I'll do whatever, because yeah. I just, everything he plays, I have to, I got to have it. I got to know, I just, and a lot with Ornette or Henry or Paul Blay. I equally love their music and what they do, but at the same time, there's a lot that I know is is not me or something. And this is not a judgment. Yeah. It's just an intuition of that's them, and I love it. Yeah. Like Stevie Wonder. Or so. yeah, yeah. There's so much Stevie that's not me in a beautiful, incredible way. Yeah. But um, but Grant Green, Jimmy Garrison, Connie Kay, there's a few players where I'm just like Mary Lou, that I'm just like, give me all. Yeah. I have to have all that. Yeah. Uh, Duke Ellington. Yeah. I have to have Duke's whole band. I just I gotta have every note. I gotta have it, and I deserve it. I gotta have it. Rah, 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 rah. Mm. You know, I don't feel bad. But I don't. Know, it's a really hard thing to talk about. But it's, how do you study this music? Oh, just just transcribing, and um, I make it easier by doing people who I have no business doing first. Like, oh, I certainly have no business with Strayhorn and Ellington. Fine, 
so I'll go to Bach and Mozart and Schubert for a while. Then I'll come back, and it'll be easier because because Strayhorn and Ellington are so much more in my heart somehow. Of, and it doesn't mean I like them more. It's just the feeling of like I know this somehow. I already know it. Now let's just make it official and get it get it into the thing get it get it moving so it's you want to know about you want to sorry for interrupting but you want to know about no, Duke no. Ellington and Stuart Strayhorn but you don't go there you go for Schubert and then you come back at, well, can you explain yeah I know it's sounding weird it's well I of course I want to know everything like I, sure. I want to I'd love to be able to play Stevie's entire catalog sure on all the instruments and I'd I would love to have all of Bach right here. Of course I would. Um, so it's not a value judgment. It's just, it's just a, it all comes from the listening experience. Um, I mean, the first time I, I was totally, I come from a big family and we all listen together. But the first time I listened to Duke by myself in the car, away from everybody on cassette, I, I remember the road, the night, uh, the yeah. sky, everything, and I, and I remember the feeling like I can just pull over here. I'm good. I don't. I don't need to hear any more records. I don't. Mm. I don't need to have some more experiences. Mm -hmm. I don't need to find true love and have a family. I'm mm -hmm. good. You know. Yeah. I might live under that tree over there. It's a. <laughs> it's a certain kind of feeling that doesn't happen all the time, mm -hmm. and it. And something similar always happens with with Duke and Stray and and with Jimmy Garrison and with Grant Green. I can use it like yoga or like herbs or if I'm fucked up or feel bad or something's fucked up. And I test it all the time. I was super depressed about this pandemic the other day and didn't want to do anything and was feeling terrible about myself that I felt that way and that I couldn't be proactive. And it went on for some number of days and then I was just like, Oh, I, I, I'm going to put the challenge on Jimmy. I'm not going to take this all myself. <laughs> so I just, uh, copied everything he did on that track Iris with Alice and, and John and Rashid. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even 12 minutes and I was good. Okay. I was, I was ready for anything. Yeah. You know? Wow. And it's, it's, it's beautiful that the, that your emotional experiences in a passive way can carry on and become medicine. They can be actually used yeah. in a literal active way. They're not just like, man, that's some bad shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Super powerful. Okay. But we were talking about studying, um, and going, going back and forth, uh, from the stuff that you, that you like and that you would like to check out, right? So you're yeah. transcribing. Um, can you tell me what your process is transcribing? Can you break it down? Yeah. Um, well, I definitely agree with Keith that you should study the supermasters. You know, it's a it's the fastest or it's the most efficient use of your time. So, so I'll definitely study Bach and Bird and Louis Armstrong and. Um, as, as much as I can, but a huge part of my heart just wants to study Mussorgsky and 
Schnitka and Duke and Grant Green and Connie Kay. Mm. Those are the people that just, yeah. And so I just, I don't know. I make myself go for the other ones, which I love too, very, very, very much. And which very much touch me, but I don't know. Somehow it's a different feeling. Bach, Bach brings out another part of my brain, which maybe keeps me a little more sane or a little more able to be in a zone with the real world, the real mm -hmm. tough world. Uh, Bach would help me drive by Costco and McDonald's and Burger King without getting super depressed. So I don't know, there's yeah. something that it activates another part of my brain mm. and um, definitely helps me play with a tenor player better or yeah. it helps me hear in two places, yeah. hear my line and their line. Yeah. Um, more than, I'm sure Prokofiev could do that for me too, but the place I go to when I'm dealing with Prokofiev is so weird. Mm. It's almost like underground or uh, in a beautiful way. It's a yeah. hobbit house or something. Especially so it doesn't, now. yeah. So um, Bach, you're playing at the piano or also at the bass? No, I just, so far I just do it either on paper or at the bass or the guitar um on with paper the transcribing the, the the music yeah um just thinking uh part by part mm. so so obviously i'll start with the solo pieces because it's yeah. just one line sure, yeah. <laughs> but if but if it's a but if it's a polyphonic piece then i'll do line by line yeah either on paper or with the guitar or bass But somehow the best is, and I never do it. I've only done it a few times, and I tell students to do it. I should do it more. The best is with some crappy keyboard controller and garage band. Because okay. it, it really forces you to not take yourself so seriously. It sounds terrible mm -hmm. in a great way. And it, it emphasizes the message that it's not about you or your version or some hip exercise you're doing. It's about the music. Because mm -hmm. it still sounds fucking great when you yeah. play back that three voice thing or whatever with GarageBand internal instruments. Mm. Did you hear Adam Benjamin's GarageBand record? No. Yeah, I I don't know if it's from 10 years ago. It's it's called It's a Standard 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 World, <laughs> and and he does real book standards. Maybe there's like 15 or 20 tracks, mm -hmm. and the apparently the the task was that he could only use GarageBand's internal instruments. And wow. it's a pretty, for me, it's a pretty great record. And it's also, uh, you know, there's a lot, multiple points to be gleaned from that. <laughs> But I, I love doing that with, with Bach and other composers because it, yeah, it varies. It cements the thing that, and for someone like me who's so obsessed with sound and with strings and with yeah. instruments and microphones, it even more cuts it, you know, just like... You have Fine, a little Ben, bit you're more... obsessed with all that stuff, but yeah. you don't have to be that obsessed because mm -hmm. shit sounds pretty good on the garage band trombone. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> How about putting it on a drum drum uh, sample? <laughs> I haven't done that yet, but Adam did it. Adam does it beautifully, like fantastic drum programming, and you'll hear the record. Okay, I'll check it out. 
Well, it's it, it puts more, um, I mean, doing it that way uh, with Bach in, in, uh, on various instruments and deleting the sound aspect of it, uh, it puts so much more weight or it shows what how great and important the content is and how, on the other side, how sometimes we're blinded by sound. Yeah. Or um, the way somebody's playing. And we sometimes, we might think, wow, that's hip. And then you see what the actual content is and you're like, it doesn't make any sense or, yeah. you know. Yeah. And in the other direction, with Bach especially, the MIDI instruments show that beautiful thing that it sounds like he was feeling that how much came to him and how much he's passing through, not just putting all his stamp on it, but how much he's passing on again about how amazing it is five to one one to five, mm -hmm. one to five this way, five to one this way. Mm. And that a lot of it is not his shit. He's like just passing it on. Mm. Just like in other great classical traditions, like Indian classical, you're, we're responding to a lot of people, which is so fantastic. Yeah. And with Bach, we're definitely responding to a lot of people, mm. I think. Mm. He, he's... It sounds like, and they say that he he used a lot of sources, right? Yeah, in so many ways. So when you transcribe a piece like that, then do you? What happens after that? After you've put it on paper or onto the guitar or GarageBand? Well, nothing formally happens. Uh, I certainly will spare the listening public any any version I might yeah. do of them. I'm yeah. not going to inflict yeah. inflict the world with that, but, um, but it does help me play with people for sure. Mm. Yeah. And how is the, the, the process then different if you take apart a Billy Strayhorn song or a Monk well, song? Um, well, that is a little bit more literal because, um, they'll get me out of a jam on the bandstand in a literal way. I can't, I haven't been able to do that with Bach yet, but, or maybe we'll never do it. I could do it with David Varelis or Danilo Perez or somebody, but I can't do it with everybody. Um, there's not a lot of people who I play with anyway that seem uh, as fascinated with tetrachords as like some of those people I mentioned, some others, but uh, that's another story. But um. But the Strayhorn Ellington, I can, I can get out of jams in a, at a jam session. I can just be like, wow, I don't want to be here. Why did I say I would play? This is terrible. Oh, I'll play Harry Carney's part. And then it's beautiful. And the jam session transforms and, <laughs> and, and I get awarded the genius grant of the jam. And he sounds so amazing. Uh, I'm like, I, I, oh, let's have a beer. I'm only playing Harry Carney's part. Oh, you're so humble. No, no, I'm, that's what I'm doing. That's what it, no, no, I love the bass notes that you're choosing. And it really brought the band together. Mm. So then I become like a little hero of a kind of a dismal situation, which is not what I'm trying to be, but it's good. There can be some joie de vivre, at the, <laughs> you know, at, at the situation, you know, it's like, a, okay. It's, it's a literal one-to-one -one, yeah, plug-in. 
so you're trying to to uh, to learn the, the the various parts of the of the performance of that particular well i'm doing piece. it for myself just because yeah. i can't avoid it the yeah. same with prokofiev and connie k but I, i'm just saying it's interesting that it does have once in a while some practical amazing benefits even though that's not why i'm doing it at yeah. home Mm-hmm. I'm, I study Connie Kay because I have to, because I just, it's like seeing Joey Barron doing card tricks or something. You're just like, uh, can you do that again? Like <laughs> 800 times slower, please. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Tell me about your favorite Connie Kay record. Oh, wow. Um, there's so many, but the first one that jumps to mind is that Paul Desmond, pure Desmond with um, Ed Bickert on guitar and Ron Carter. Oh. I think it's from the late 60s, maybe, on CTI. I'm not sure. Um, Pure Desmond, it's called. Pure yeah. Desmond. Okay. And uh, Check it out. You'll love that guitar player, too. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, Schofield hit me to, uh, to, to those records with... Uh, with Sco Tim. knows that guitar player. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with Jim Hall. Oh, with Desmond? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Jim Hall is the one that recommended this guitar player for, for oh, Paul. I see. Wow. With Connie K, I, some, I some always have to think about um, bags and train. Oh, yeah. And around the same time, all the early um, Ray Charles on Atlantic, a lot of it's oh. Connie K. Wow. Okay. People tell me. Because the, you know, the li liner notes weren't too good back then. For... Mm-hmm. Man, there's so much great Connie K. Whoa, um, there's there's a Coleman Hawkins, Roy Eldridge at the Opera House with John Lewis, and Connie and and Percy. Uh, some epic John Lewis intros on those. Mm. Epic. Uh, they're not 20 minutes long, but uh, yeah, but they sound like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In another interview of yours, I read you told about. Um, Mark Johnson, and we talked about Mark already a little bit, but um, Mark Johnson mentioning having a healthy ego in music. I said that in an interview? Mm-hmm. Wow. I wonder why I said that, because I, I always, um, that phrase when he said that really stuck in my mind, because I, I didn't, I think I understood how he meant it for him but i never knew if that would be valuable for me or yeah. not and the, i don't know what did that, i say in that interview yeah the topic in the interview ended there oh so which is in a way in a nutshell why i do these interviews because a lot of interviews end in the moment where or ah. Questions, good. Yeah, answers, yeah, yeah. answers, and somewhere where I'm like, now you're gonna change the subject, you know? And I'm sure yeah. I might do the same for others, you know? Somebody would like, can you please talk more about Connie K in this moment, you know, or something, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, this was a moment where I was like, okay, I w yeah, I want to know more about this. About the ego thing? Yeah. With Mark's comment or yeah. in general? And yeah. how, how, um, it, how... Got, it got brought up again by Nick Payton uh, a week or two ago on Instagram. I don't know if you saw that. Um, 
I don't know if Nick started it or somebody else. I don't remember, but Nick was talking about that having a healthy ego can be good for an artist and people shouldn't denigrate the ego so much or something. I, I'm probably uh, encapsulating it very badly, but um, I, if, if you didn't see it, I could, maybe I can find it and send it. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I, I had a similar feeling like, I feel like I know what Nick's talking about and why this makes sense to him. I'm not sure yet if I feel this way for me, but I, but I might, I don't know. I just, I feel like I know so little, and this is also connected to studying Bach along with, or versus studying Duke Ellington, you know, um, the, I, I guess I don't feel like I know very much about the ego in a practical way. I don't know its range and I've, I've always been maybe a little afraid of it. Like, I don't want to look under that rock or, you know, um, I, I know what's in the basement of this house. I don't need to go down there yeah. without the light on. Mm-hmm. I already know what's there. I'm not scared. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit like that. And uh, it, it gets even more scary when I talk to Mark Turner, who I think knows a lot more about the ego than I do from being a, a more patient studier of the literature and with, with teachers. But um, I remember asking him a specific question. There was a Lama who was teaching about the ego and he was saying something about, Oh, your ego wants this, your ego wants that, your ego wants the cup of coffee. And I was like, it was Lama Yeshe who was talking about this. And I was just like, okay, I thought I was with you, but I'm not with you anymore. I don't get the ego with the cup of coffee. Like, <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? Um, so I, of course, I went to Mark and said, you know, Yeshe said this. What was he just kidding, or what has the cup of coffee got to do with ego? And then, of course, Mark gave me a long, a long, drawn out, beautiful answer that, and it all made perfect sense. And so, of course, I walked away like, yeah, you definitely don't know what's in the basement. You don't know much about the ego. You don't. Tell me what he just said. Just as I thought. Well, he said. Um, that Yeshe and others' definition of the ego is much broader than what we usually think. It's the, it's 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 part of the awareness. It's like what you said with drawing. The ego kind of gets in the way drawing that apple. Because you you want it to be fucking killing, yeah. or you not only want it to look like an apple and be realistic, but you want it to be completely original and mm-hmm. your vibe. And no, oh, it's also that's a. And that apple's got a vibe. Yeah. Not only, you know, you want it all. You want it all. Yeah. That's, that's ego. And then, um, as we usually know it. But then the fucking coffee thing is very much connected to the ego, let's say, in the morning. Like, as if you know that you can't do shit until you have some coffee. That's what you're saying. But maybe you just want that fucking coffee. You want, you want your treat right away. Yeah. You're not waiting for dessert. You're gonna have your you're gonna have your drugs right away. Yeah. Which is you don't know that that's what's best even for your own body. Mm-hmm. But then you're walking around talking about Trump and everything else all day, like you know how everything works and right. you got it all figured out. Yeah, because you're doing that to yourself right away, first thing in the morning. Like it's, I mean, Mark didn't say all that. I'm yeah. Not. 
I'm paraphrasing to the end of the earth. Mark yeah, said yeah. none of this, but that but that's what I took took mm. from it. Mark said it in a much more beautiful way. Mm. I just don't remember <laughs> the literal words. How did we get to the cup of coffee? Ah, from yeah, the the ego. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I never would have connected ego and coffee, obviously, yeah. like I said. No, yeah. me neither. Yeah. And that's another thing with studying Bach, like I would be the type of person who would be much more into the idea that I have no business studying Bach for many, many, many reasons. But that's similar to the idea like I can't do anything in the morning until I have some coffee. These are these are just phrases that you somehow have in your head. Who the fuck knows why? Mm. You know? Yeah. So now uh, transcribing Bach is very much like taking private lessons with Bach or, or, or living in his house and doing chores in exchange for watching him practice or some, yeah. watching him write or something. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you, because yeah, when you transcribe, you're like, you're like in it from note to yeah. note. Exactly. And you see how this note. Yeah. Kind of, kind of changed the trajectory for that note, and exactly. because this note is coming from there, and and this note in relation to, yeah, exactly. Totally. And then you try to challenge it, like because you have to do a variation on it at some point, otherwise you don't really know it. So it's fun to challenge. Hey, man, are you sure you didn't miss a G natural over there? Would have been maybe a little bit better, huh? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you if you try to challenge the master. It's amazing beatdown for quite a while. Mm -hmm. I used to I used to have a counterpoint teacher, and the assignments would often be Bach chorales. Just take the top line, which apparently he didn't write. Like a, it was a Lutheran melody, mm -hmm. um, and then we harmonize it ourselves. And then we would go to the class and wait. So you take the top line and then you write the other. Yeah, take the soprano. Three. Take the soprano of the Bach yeah. chorale, which I guess most of the time, or maybe all the time, was a Lutheran melody, yeah. not not something that Bach wrote. Mm -hmm. um, and then the students harmonize the chorale, not looking at Bach. Yeah. And then we go to the teacher, and then the teacher, together with us, correct our homework. So now we have three versions. The original student version, yeah. the corrected version, and the Bach version. Yeah. And our teacher would always laugh about, he told us beforehand how it was going to go, and it went that way every time. Like, like Bach won every time, of course. Yeah. But, but still, it's important to have the feeling, and maybe this is what Nicholas might mean or Mark Johnson might mean, it's important to have the feeling that you should challenge it or try to beat it because otherwise you, you can't really know what's happening. Mm. Or you, I can't do a variation of anything I take from Ornette mm -hmm. unless I really understand something in my own way from him. And there's no sense to transcribe anything from Ornette if I can't do a variation. Mm -hmm because then it's just going to be this artificial limb of Ornette sticking out of my language. And yep. that's pretty weird. Yeah. And someone like Sullivan Fortner could get away with that. I cannot get away with that. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you think Sullivan can, can 
Sullivan can quote like a TV theme song in the midst of in the midst of an improvisation that would, you know, let's say he's got you in his improvisation, you're almost crying, and then he he does some game show theme. It's still fine. Yeah. Like I he's a very different musician than me. He can it works with him. I I don't think I could do that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying I want to, but I'm just yeah, yeah. it's different people. Different. I'm sure Bach could do that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he did do that. Mm. A lot of great TV shows back in back in the day. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> or whatever it was, yeah. For how long have you been doing this uh, Bach uh, transcription thing? I think since the first time I heard some people play Bach in a way that I thought there was room for me. Because before, as a kid and in my early 20s, I just thought, okay, Bach is another person on the mountain that I will bow to. I won't get involved, you know, but um, just as a listener. But uh -huh. then when I heard Heifetz and um, Edwin Fisher, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. yep. I have to be involved somehow. Because like, mm -hmm. I, what, what, what you... I needed a lot of things from Heifetz that he was doing. I knew I needed those things on the bass. I mean, <laughs> I don't have them. Yeah. I, I would never be able to play like Heifetz on the bass. I, I'm just talking about very specific little things of vibrato and certain phrasing things and very mm -hmm. minutiae, you know, the details. What about Edwin Fisher? Ugh, that's just, that sent me on the whole Abbey Road quest of sonics and types of piano sound and mm -hmm. um, the fulfillment of Schnabel in my mind. Mm -hmm. There's nothing against Schnabel. Yep. But yeah, just, oh my God, I could talk about Edwin Fisher forever. It's mm -hmm. oof, unbelievable. I left him out, but he's in there with Grant Green and yeah. and Connie Kay for me. Yeah, just got to get to work. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's well-tempered. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it has some emotional quality and and uh, depth and strength that I don't want to put Glenn Gould down, but everybody keeps talking about when talking about Bach, talking about Glenn Gould, and for sure that that makes sense. And he was a. It's master. amazing how much that happens. It's unbelievable. He gets just how much that happens. Yeah, and some other people get left out too really brought some bring something different to the table and and uh it with me it, it just touches me more edwin yeah edwin's version yeah 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 um did you hear glenn's uh i don't know if it's the second one but the last one when he revised the goldberg or whatever you want to call it recorded it again i think still at the same 30th street studios it's like it's a wide cover 19 1980 or 81 it might be a white cover yeah i think so with him it's, on it it's it's pretty different from the late 50s one yeah of the goldberg well i i, I don't know i think that's the only one i have the later one but you're talking about the goldberg though yeah. right but i'm uh, sorry were you with glenn were you talking about the well-tempered yeah Yeah, I mean, okay. in a way, Now, Bach he... and in general, you know, he gets oh, so, ex okay. you know, so like Bach Goldberg just cause, and yeah. uh, everybody talks about him. Like there's nobody yeah. else who... Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They still do? Wow. Because um, uh, 
I I had such a negative reaction to Glenn's Bach when I was young that I was forced to um, be quiet about it because you know everybody would have I would have been stoned if I had said I didn't yeah. like it. Uh, but it was beyond not liking it. I disliked it so much that it forced me to deal with Glenn, and then and then I got into all the rest of Glenn, which is incredible. Yeah. Which eventually helped helped me come back. And um, I mean, the original Goldberg for me is still really tough and maybe unlistenable. But um, but there's so much that's killing. His Schoenberg is mm-hmm. is Schumann. That yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- I think he plays the same piano than Bill Evans did on on Kind of Blue. Right? Well, there were. There were maybe three of those pianos. It's hard to say, two or three, or it's hard to it know if be. something was rented. I've, I've really tried to research this. Um, but I mean, Monk. It may be. It's close Duke, enough. You I know. Mean, yeah. It sounds pretty similar. You know. Boris Parlin on um, Mingus Ah Um. Check out the intro to um, Self Portrait in Three Colors. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Bill and. Arturo for a second, and oh. it's definitely a huge part of that room. And yeah, of course, yeah. Horse Horse is awesome anyway, but it's just like, what the? F- mm-hmm. yeah. mm. Oh, do, what do you think about Richter's Bach? Sviatoslav Richter's Bach. I, I can't say uh, I know it very well. I think I heard some, yeah. But, okay. Um, Have you heard um, Tatiana Nikolaeva? No. You might, you might like her uh check her out playing um shostakovich's 24 preludes and fugues mm-hmm. they were written for her and she's okay that she, might be my, a, my way in because i i i've heard those pieces and uh i have the music here and uh, yeah, studied yeah i think a keith bit. recorded them as well yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, was, it didn't touch me until now so much you oh know? i, I can yeah. understand that it's amazing pieces of music but there are other preludes or other pieces, you know, that yeah. that have touched me more. You know. Yeah. What, like Scriabin and Yeah. Yeah, totally. Scriabin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, totally. How much piano do you play at home? Zero. Can't play piano. I mean, um, what do they call it? A ranger's piano? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the least technically equipped of the arrangers, piano pianists, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I love it. And, but I don't I don't practice. Mm. Um, Simon put us together, right? Uh, oh, yeah, the Wilson. Simon Wilson, a great bassist and mutual friend. Um, I think he mentioned when we were playing together that you were about to record a record of your own. Oh wow! I don't know. If oh, that... I was gonna. I was gonna try to do that. Um, yeah, it kind of fell through business-wise. Oh. But I uh, oh, have the music. Uh, I have the music together. I just have to um, find another way, maybe, to do it. Oh shit! Okay. Sorry to hear that, because I was going to ask you about, uh, I, I think you mentioned an interesting personnel that you were thinking about. 
And I wanted oh, yeah. to, to ask you yeah. about why you put those guys together, which I don't know, I think, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but he, I think oh, he yeah. told me about, uh, you wanted to ask Andrew Cyril, Schofield, Tom Harrell. Yeah, exactly. That's the guys, right? Yeah, and Billy Hart. And Billy Hart. So yeah. two drummers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. What What did you What did you have in mind? Well, it was going to be the uh, the sort of uh, church band for with the pastor. The pastor was going to be um, uh, Yusef Komanyaka, who's uh, one of my favorite poets, and we were going to we were going to deal with his poems and be the backing band kind of Tom wow. was going to play mostly keyboards and piano Tom Harrell maybe, Tom Harrell yeah and maybe some trumpet wow who knows there still may be a way to do it i don't know mm -hmm. wow i hope i want to hear this yeah me too yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah let's hope uh, let's hope uh, it'll work out yeah exactly What was the first time you played with Paul Motion? The first time, uh, oof. it was probably a, a Yucca Bro record, I, I think. Pearl River? I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that, but I think it was a, a Yucca record. Maybe called Pearl River? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Pearl River, yeah. It's a beautiful album. Oh, yeah. Really Is that, like that. Uh, Mark Turner on that? And Chris Cheek? Yeah, yeah, I think it's that record, yeah. How was that experience for you? It was good, but uh, I think I was a little too comfortable, again, like that like that stupid comment I made to Miroslav about what's Roy Haynes doing this summer. I think I made another stupid move with Paul because um, I'm really into recording and sound, and I'd been listening to Paul my whole life, and I was very comfortable with the engineer because I'd done a lot of record dates with him and so we finished the record early the second day because everything was going so well and Paul left early um, I think it was like only two o'clock or three o'clock and Paul was gone and we're listening back and I thought the bass drum wasn't quite right in the mix and I thought I knew that it wasn't right yeah. and so kind of in a friendly way, arguing with the engineer about it. And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure, you know, that's, that's how Paul likes it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's not how Paul likes it. We're getting into it. Not in a, in a, as bad a way as this sounds mm -hmm. with me telling it, like it was, it was very friendly and I have immense respect for this guy. And mm -hmm. it was, it was just in a friendly way. And I was in a teasing way. I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to call Paul then. And, and the guy's like, go ahead. So I called Paul and he's like, yes, I could tell he wasn't friendly or in a mood for it. And I don't even fucking know this guy. There's no way I should have been calling him. And I explained the situation and there's this long silence. And then he says the name of the engineer and he says, knows my bass drum. And I was like, okay, well, great talking to you, Paul. And you know, I'll see you, see you tomorrow. I'll probably click. And I was like, why the fuck did I do that? <laughs> it was pretty funny. But it was great to go back and tell the engineer exactly what he said. And there was a big laugh. And yeah. 
Okay. But in a weird way, I think Paul liked that whole, he likes that kind of shit. You mm -hmm. know? I, think. Mm. I mean, I, I love how you guys sound together. I mean, especially, yeah, going back to balladeering, how you guys play together, I can't really put into words, but also, especially on those rubato pieces, kind of, yeah, just moves in a certain way, dancing comes to mind, you know, in a way. Um, he's, he's one of those uh, type of drummers that make you feel like you're playing with a great conductor or something. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of bass players, he brings out such a nice thing from bass players. And I feel like they're responding to a great conductor or something. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, not only a great conductor, but a conductor you feel an affinity for, you know, mm. or something. But it, I mean, listening to you guys, it also feels like not only that he's kind of directing you, it feels like you can, you can direct him too, or you can uh, show show ideas that he might react to. It's not just a one-way street. Oh, wow. Oh, I should listen to that record again. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How do you prepare for situations like recording or, or a tour? Maybe let's take Sko. You know, you've worked with oh. Sko for a couple of tours, yeah. a couple of uh, bands. And... Uh, I know, I mean, uh, he sends music in advance and you, you know, how do you work on it? How do you prepare? I think I, um, if I have time, it's usually always the same uh, way to kind of um, multi-track it myself at home, mm -hmm. except for drums. Or maybe with drums a little bit, but I'm, a, I'm such a bad drummer. I'll do whatever little... But I try as much to make it um, sound good with with the parts that I won't be playing as well, you know. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I remember, you know, Peter Bernstein is a pretty funny person. He uh, he had sent me some of his own music for a gig, and I had just happened to had got this beautiful old archtop from 1951. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna multi-track it with this this amazing guitar and then, um, you know, play it for Peter. And won't he be surprised that I have such a nice guitar sound too. It's not as good as his, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and then I'll tell him about the guitar. So I did all that and it was a lot of work, but, and I forgot that I never told him I got the guitar or that I even played guitar. So when, when I showed up to the rehearsal, I said, um, you know, my, I, I really enjoyed working on your music. I love your music, but also my wife really loved listening to it. And I had forgotten that I didn't tell him anything about multi-tracking or playing guitar. And Pete being the comedy genius that he was just put it together and said, uh, well, wow, imagine that's great. Cause imagine what she's going to think when she hears the rest of it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I was like, is he dissing my multi-tracking? Like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> but he was joking about just yeah. listening to the bass. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Now I want to kind of hear, I want to hear some of your Bach stuff and uh, your uh, demos. <laughs> of the. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
Well, it's funny about, you mentioned Schofield. Um, that's like, you know, uh, a gig like that is like, and him sending you the music, that just feels like somebody gave you keys to New York Public Library and said, well, have at it. Let's yes. go for those scores, you know. Yeah. It's not like work to try to learn Schofield tune. That's the yeah. shit, you know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm sure you've, you're well aware. So. I still keep the, the first letter he sent me. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, and I look at it, and it's just the way he... Yeah, so down to earth with, I thought I'd send yeah. you some music that we could try, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, of course, yeah, let's try your songs, you know. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, 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 exactly. And this handwriting, how, how he writes down stuff, I just love it, you know, it's... Yeah, totally. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Tom Harrell the same way. Oh, so, yeah. Very different handwriting, though. Handwriting and <laughs> fantastic. And... Yeah. Yeah. Sko that, doesn't use a, use a ruler, though, huh? Does Tom use a ruler? I think I so. I've, I, I saw him, you know, uh, write it down on his trumpet case. Oh, yeah, case it, it with does look ruler, like, like, you know. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. But Sko's stuff is easy to read, isn't it? It is, it, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even the hard-to-read charts by people, I prefer to, to um, Sibelius charts or... Yeah, me too. Charts. I don't. I don't know why. Yeah, I think I know why. For me, because uh, it's just a more personal thing, and also yeah. for me, that's maybe weird a little bit. But for me, I always feel like if if I see a scribbled paper, this always feels to me more inviting to have my own thoughts about it. Yeah, than, exactly. Uh, uh, perfectly, or most of the times, actually, uh, worse written down stuff you know, on the computer, because there's always this situation of somebody telling you, yeah, I didn't know how to put the chord symbol together or, you know, uh, or the title is this big and it's two pages and on the second page, it's just, just two bars and you have two, you know, stuff like that. And you, you always think, yeah, I did, couldn't bring my, my software to putting it on one page and the titles keep being so big and the chord symbols are, in the you know so i i don't care for that symbols are tiny and yeah oh, it's horrible so uh, um speaking of chord symbols how do you as a pianist how do you um like if a bass player was going to give you charts do you like the more information the better in a chord symbol or the less information the better or like because i'm tempted to just hand a pianist if i like the pianist just hand them like, oh, that's a C chord. That's a B flat chord. I'd love to do that. Not even say <laughs> dominant or, you know, especially if we have a chance to play it more than once. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll hear what the melody is and yeah, almost like, who am I to say that's a dominant? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. There's a little bit wishful thinking, but I, it's something yeah. like that. I feel like, or definitely leave it at dominant and not write in a bunch of just say dominant and no pitch. <laughs> That's better. That's maybe better. Yeah. Um, I think that's very uh, uh, subjective, how everybody approaches it. Um, I sometimes I'm, yeah, because sometimes I might gravitate towards more information so I can then decide what I'm playing. You know, uh, what I don't like is I have a, if I have a piano part, 
with uh, second instrument skill voicings and a chord symbol and no melody. You know, that's oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what wow. I don't like. Where where you you like the melody is not of your business. You handle the chords right. because you're a pianist. Yeah. You know, I don't like yeah. that at all. And these are the voices yeah, yeah, yeah. that I thought would might be nice, and uh, you know they might be usually so limited because that person is not a piano player or something. Yeah. Um, so I, I like to have all the information. I like to have the bass part and the, the chords, sometimes voicings if it's, if it's part of the tune and the melody and chord symbols, because it gives me a way uh, um, of, um, it gives me information of, about how you think about the chords. Or what you think yeah. is the most easy oh, yeah, way yeah, yeah, to, exactly. to express yeah. them. And that gives me then maybe freedom to, oh, he's thinking about it like this. So I can think about it like this, you know, or yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah, that's right. a way I've never thought about naming a chord. That's interesting, you know. Yeah. And um, then there are people like, I think, Mark Copeland or something, they, uh, he doesn't write chord changes at all in his music and the, the bassists have to figure out what, what it is then, you know. Oh, wow. On and his written yeah, material? Yeah. Wow. So it, it might be written out and there's no chord changes. So you have to kind of figure it out, which I guess uh, makes it... Um, it's then, just a melody chart? No, no, melody and, and voicings. Uh, and, oh, you know, chord. So, he writes out the voicings? Yeah. So yeah. Um, that might be then... Uh, that might bring the basis then to a more personal approach, I guess, to to the written material because you get part, become part of it, you know. Yeah. Part of that naming it. That is a great way to do it because it's a little bit more like classical. Yeah. And I sometimes yeah. do do that too when I don't want the kind of the caudal approach of somebody uh, because there's certain things that happen just happen in my mind if I read a C minor seven. There's certain stuff that comes to mind, you know, obviously. <laughs> but if I read, I know we all have that. yeah, and if if I just read a voicing and a melody note, my mind is kind of putting it together. Um, oh, yeah, I also have stupid, negative, dumb, insecure stuff that'll come to my mind when I see certain chord changes. And imagine me playing them. I'm just like, oh, I know what I'm. I know the dumb shit I'm gonna do on, <laughs> on these these next three bars. <laughs> like, it'll just it'll just reinforce certain kind of like negative thinking habits that I'll have that would never happen if if I saw a melody in. Yeah. What um, video editing software do you use? Well, the, the software that I'm recording it with is called Call Recorder, which puts then the videos into the split screen uh, situation. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you can extract um, uh, separate audio tracks so you can help if somebody's talking too softly or something, whatever, you know. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And I used cool. to, in the first year, I used to edit the videos myself. And that helped me a lot, also with music, because... I learned a lot about, you know, what to leave out and became more deliberate when I talked. And that helped me, you know, helped me wow. big time for music, uh, self-editing stuff. Uh, and then I started working together with a great friend of mine who's now producing this. And 
Uh, he, oh, nice. Until that point, he, I think he watched all the interviews. And when he told me, I kind of uh, saved that information in my head. And when it came to a point where I was like, okay, this is taking up a lot of time and I'm actually, I really like this, but also I'm a piano player and I need to do, play the piano more. And, you know, also I have a family and stuff. Um, uh, I thought I, I should maybe work together with somebody who really likes doing this. And he's, oh, he's since then, which is, I think, a year ago now, uh, been producing this series and, and uh, editing the videos, you know, in. How do you, how do you, um, do you tell him, like, do whatever you want, but make sure that part about Frosty yeah. the Snowman stays in there? Or, yeah. Yes, I, I'll give him notes after the interviews is uh, is gone yeah. and uh, is, is, is over. Uh, and um, then also I, I, uh, he'll, he'll run it by me when he's finished. So we okay. might have then discussions about what to take out or um, stuff that uh, thing, uh, you know, I, I'll send him the music that will be in the intro and in the outro, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. And it's also nice to see then what he lives, leaves in there and, you know, because it's different and yeah, 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 cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, but we just, we, we usually don't take a lot of stuff out. It's just, um, to make it more concise or whatever, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. they're usually about an hour, hour and 15, right? Or yeah. Something. But man, you're, uh, you're going into the Joy Baron kind of, uh, territory right now, you know? How long was Joey's? I haven't seen that one yet. It's four hours. And you and you edited down to four hours. No, I think kept I think uh, because I, I uh, we talked for four hours, and uh, this is why I said you're entering Joy Baron uh, territory right yeah. now. Um, and I edited down to four separate parts, uh, and I think that's maybe like three and a half or three forty or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, that was quite a ride with him. As it is with you, man, I'm really enjoying talking to you. Did you have anything else on the um, on the paper? Because you had such good questions. Um, and I, I had terrible distractions, but you had the good questions. So. I like really like that. Um, I only have the questions there. Or it's not really questions. It's well. It's uh, it's stuff that I, you know, when I'm preparing for an interview, I have to remind myself that I have been preparing for this interview for a long time already. Yeah. Because whenever yeah, yeah, I listen yeah, yeah. to somebody, I have questions after that. Sure. You know? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and what I hate about interviews myself, if I'm interviewed, if somebody's looking at his notes the whole time, especially when somebody's answering their question and the interviewer yeah. is already thinking about the next qu clever question yeah. that they you know i'm realizing that came out as an awkward dick cavett moment i i meant i really like your questions so i, I was intrigued is, is thank what you I meant. Yeah. thank you and i like dick cavett so <laughs> oh you do oh, yeah. Okay. yeah you don't i don't know i constantly go back and forth Sometimes I denounce him, and then other times, oh, he's not so bad. Um, he had some pretty good guests on his show. He had good guests, that's for sure, yeah. 
and musical guests as well, you know, and then yeah. when he talks to them, it's, it's funny, you know, I just saw yeah. Duke on, on his show, which yeah. is very nice. And obviously the yeah. Oscar Peterson uh, thing is a classic. Yeah. Um, well, um, it's not a question. Oh, although actually it is a question because when I was a teenager, um, maybe, I don't know, when I was 16 or something, somebody hit me to the Wayne Shorter Quartet with Danilo and John Patitucci and Brian Blade. And that was kind of a big moment for me, which led me to check out a lot of Danilo's music. And, oh, uh, yeah. you know, and you're on a lot of his records. And the first one that I listened to was this one. Oh, Till Then, yeah. Yeah, which was an important album for me. Um, and there are others. Uh, and a lot of Danilo's records have uh, you and Adam Cruz and John Petitucci and, and Brian Blade on it. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And I was always wondering, um, because that's two very different sounds with one piano player. And, um, you know, two, in a way, different approaches. And you're all dancing around him and, and getting different colors out of him. And I always wondered how it felt for you during that time, because I think you might have played with him before he joined the quartet already, or you knew yeah, him. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. So he joins that quartet and finds those guys that he hooks up with and has a different uh, vibe and feel with them. And I'm not judging in, or in any way. I'm just saying it's different. You know, and it did, it becomes this iconic thing for a lot of people. And then you went yeah. on making records with him where both of these trios are, are there in, on different occasions. And I'm wondering how it felt for you to see another bassist, another drummer playing with the same guy. Um, what, what does it do to you? Well, I think, um, I think I get it because Danilo is really smart. He knows that the world, most of the world isn't really ready for the depth that Adam and I bring to the table. And <laughs> he needs to have, you know, like some, some people like John and Brian dumb it down for the masses. So, you know, he's really smart that way. I got to give it up to him. He's, <laughs> he's really thinking ahead. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, <laughs> I guess um, I never take time to think about this stuff or even listen to a lot of these records. Mm -hmm. I'm such, I'm still that kid trying to find the record I haven't found yet or, you know, trying to, I, I don't know what it, I'm such a, um, I'm not a record fanatic like, like some of the real record fanatics who know the weight of the vinyl and, you know, everything about, well, this was originally on this label, yeah. or, but I'm, I mean, I'm, I just always want to find that Edwin Fisher at, at Abbey road, 1935. I want to find, I want to find those records that just, so I, I have a bad habit of not listening to my peers albums or my own. And, um, Like when I'm around someone like Aaron Parks, who just seems to know everybody's album, uh, I'm just like, 
how how did you even hear that? Are those those all just come out somewhere? Like, mm-hmm. where do they where do they get released? How did do you buy all these records? Like, what is even happening? Yeah. Like, because I'm a little stuck in the record store mentality still, mm. and and so. I think maybe title is going to change this for me because I finally found a streaming outfit that I can sort of relate to. I'm on that too. Yeah, it sounds good, and um, mm-hmm. they give credits. Yeah, and I I I like the interface, and yeah. And so between title and YouTube, maybe maybe I'm going to catch up. Yeah, and finally get to hear records I want to hear. Like I want to hear Walter Smith's records. I want to hear um, Sullivan's records, and. Uh, I don't even know how many he has under his own name. I'm really out of it with the, mm. with the cats, you know. Yeah. I know far more about uh, other, Jesus. I know more about Cortot's recording history than I know about somebody now, you know, yeah. it's, which is crazy. It's out of balance. Mm. Well, I think that's nice, and I, I can relate to that. Um, so, but I mean, uh, I remember, oh, I remember like one other thing is like Adam and I getting to a rehearsal at like a rehearsal studio and seeing John and Brian. And I, I remember being struck by myself sometimes like the, like the coffee and the ego thing. I'll let myself do something before I think just to see what, what the animal wants to do. And the, the non-logical part of me just, uh, not that animals aren't logical, I'm getting in a hole here, um, <laughs> wanted to just run in and, and take the opportunity to see how they dealt with Danilo's music. I wasn't thinking anything about the record or anything. I was just like, man, I, I would love to just sit here for the rest of the afternoon and see how they interact with Danilo, how they ask for more input or less input or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like, I remember we got there and Danilo was saying something about the 6-8 to Brian about something that he wanted and Adam and I just looked at each other like, let's get in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's uh, So it's more in that spirit if I'm on records with other rhythm sections. Mm. It would be almost like a relief or something. I don't know. Some some kind of thing like that. Like it a chance to hear another perspective. Yeah. I was telling it's, it's about the tune, right? Or the, like, maybe they'll get it right. Or maybe they'll, or maybe they'll help me get it right. Or, mm-hmm. or maybe they'll get it worse. So I'll feel like I did do something right. Or yeah. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just sort of like, you know, if you really want to make a pizza that you can stand behind, you're going to learn from everybody, right? You're going to, mm. You're gonna, and it sort of doesn't matter who who got it right. Just like, as long as, yeah. How is Danilo and as a as a band leader? Oh my God, he's crazy. Like, uh, <laughs> that's where the that's where he maybe embraces his crazy. I wouldn't say maybe the most, but. He will absolutely take the brakes off the crazy as a band leader and in the studio. And it took me a while to understand that that was intentional. And actually, his wife helped me understand that. Because 
because I would be doing the typical bass player thing or the middle child thing of trying to make sure everybody's okay. And when Danilo would be bursting with ideas and directions and all over the place and maybe even seemingly contradicting himself sometimes, I, I would try to be the, um, maitre d or the you know try to try to make everything work mm -hmm. and i remember really going crazy in the studio with stress of trying to keep things focused so that we could finish the record and <laughs> uh there were many many people in the control room and there were a lot of business people in there and they were all on laptops and they a lot of them weren't even listening to the tracks and they were all talking to each other or showing each other stuff on the phones or on the laptops oh. and we're trying to make kind of crucial mic placement decisions and decisions about the tuning of the congos with the bass drums and the toms and Danilo and I are talking about voicings and arrangement and it's really thrown together in last minute and we don't have a lot of time so I, I started getting more and more stressed out and Danilo seemed more and more relaxed the more, and then more and more people are coming in, and family members and kids. And so finally, I took his wife outside and I said, talk me down, I'm about to ask everybody to leave the control room so that we can finish this record. And she started cracking up and she said, Ben, Danilo loves this. This is, this is where he functions his best. <laughs> and he, he, he loves chaos. And I was just struck like by lightning. I was like, yes, of course, that's why didn't I see this? Mm -hmm. And we went back in and finished the record. And I really liked that record. <laughs> it's, it's Which one funny. is this? Panama? Uh, what? Well, no, it's, um, what is the name of this record? Providencia? Oh. Is that the name of an album? This one. Yes. Cobilla. Cobilla. Cobilla? That's my favorite show. Cobilla is the name? Oh, that's no, no. your favorite tune, though. Yeah. What about um, that that track, Providencia? Did you? Mm. The, those those voicings are pretty. It might not be that album. Is that? Um, it's on there, track five. It's on there. But oh yeah, somehow, check it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to it. Yeah, Galactic Panama. I remember there's, there's yeah. sometimes also titles they kind of melt yeah, yeah, into yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then it, it comes down to per personalities and, and, and uh, um, temperament also, you know, and uh, giving in to a, to a different way of, of, um, of dealing with things, right? Well, I think um, Danilo is so wise and kind of streetwise and, and heartfelt that he... I know John and I are really different in so many ways, but I think one thing we share in common is that we have a very warm feeling with Danilo and we also are watching him like a hawk to, to be like, no, 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 no. But you yeah. just said C minor. No, 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 no. Like, yep. no, no, no. What the sound check ends at four. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. we're very much those kind of people. And, yeah. and I think that's good for him in in a lot of ways not not because he can't do it but because he doesn't have to think about it like mm -hmm. let ben think about that let john think about that yeah. and i'm more than happy to think about that mm -hmm. so 
it's like a win-win all the way around. Yeah. He's aware of being, you know, and then we're aware of, and it goes back and forth and it's, it's pretty funny. So. Mm. Is he, is he a guy who gives, uh, oh yeah, you, you said a, in a, in a little sentence, I think, uh, uh, bursting with directions also. Yeah, yeah, he'll have, like, you'll be sight reading a song of his, and he'll be saying, at the same time, he'll be saying three other ideas that it could be. And you want to say, man, can I just, yeah, can I just try to read this with a good sound or something? Like, I'm on yeah. such a low level, like, already, like, compared to, oh, those are nice variations you're singing to me, but let me, let me just try to read that dotted 16th note correctly for a second. Mm. It's... It's uh, it's pretty hilarious. I, Terry Lynn put it really well recently. We were we were at a super last minute rehearsal sound check, and he was getting so inspired with some other ideas for Terry and I, and it was that this was a union hall, I think. So the the sound check was definitely going to end at the time it was ending, and um, we were trying to get the kick drum monitor right and everything. It was just super stressful. And Terry just stood up and looked at him and said, no more ideas. <laughs> <laughs> But with a smile, you know, and it was just, and they're like brother and sister anyway. Yeah. And it was beautiful. It was just so. <laughs> uh. um, can we talk about memorizing tunes? Mm. Um, what's, what's your take on it? I mean, how do you go about it? Uh, let's say maybe back to school or something uh, where there's long tours. Um, yeah. How do you, um, how do you put stuff together in your mind? How do you take it in? Does it happen before the tour or do you uh, start the tour with paper and then work towards losing the paper or how, how do you go about it? Yeah. I start with paper and work towards losing it. Um, but I should, This is a wimpy move. I should I should try to have it memorized beforehand. But um, that's one thing Mark said about playing with Bill Evans. Like he said, he had the charts on the stand for like I don't want to misquote him, but I think he said a year and a half, or it was mm -hmm. like a really long time. Yeah, and that's a lot of gigs because mm -hmm. back then, you know, band being a band. Um, yeah. and he said Bill gently told him one night, like you you don't need those chord sheets yeah. anymore. <laughs> I mean, I know I would have done the same thing mm -hmm. for sure. Mm. Um, but that's different to me than standards somehow. I don't know why. I think I feel a lot more confident with standards because, uh, I mean, these days with YouTube and some other sites, I guess you can kind of do the same. Like before I played with Sco, I definitely tried to find every version of that tune that had ever yeah. been recorded. And, you know, what did Mark do? What did Dennis do? What did, yeah. so, um, um, you can kind of do it, but it's still easier with the standards because you can have 20 versions and then, you know, you're, you're in there somehow. Mm -hmm. But how do you put the things together in your mind? So they how stay do, there. So they stay. Um, I finally realized your your questions are exposing all my embarrassing. Uh, it took me a long time to realize the melody was the key to the whole 
situation, and that was enough. I, I mean, I guess I always knew it was the key, but I didn't know it was really enough. And from listening to some Alvin Jones clinics and Philly Joe Jones clinics, mm -hmm. and they just kept saying it over and over and over. And I was like, okay, if they're just going to keep saying it, even when that's not exactly what the student asked or mm -hmm. audience member asked. And then I started trying it, and sure enough, it was definitely enough. Like, And that's what re-inspired me to work on Bach again, because he said, and his son said, after the top line, you got to go to the bass. And you know, those two, those two will do it. Then you got, then you got it. And uh, I didn't believe that either. I thought, oh yeah, fine. If you're a genius, you got it from <laughs> from those two lines. I didn't know that I could too. So this is, that was pretty great. That helps with a lot of standards, right? I mean, the melody and the bass give you all the information that you're you need. done. You're totally done. Yeah. And then. And then it gives you the confidence to go to the next level and just do lyrics. Don't even, don't even try to memorize the melody. Just, just memorize the lyrics, and then you can change the lyrics too, to make them fit your life. But keep the syllables the same. Whoa. Okay. You know, switch languages, but just keep the syllables, and you and you're good. You're not going to play a wrong chord, or I mean, no way. Mm -hmm. This is and and also what's. For a lot of those tunes, what's sacred about C minor to D half diminished to G7 flat nine back to C minor? God damn it! I mean, that's that's absurd. Mm -hmm. That's not. I mean, if I had the time machine, I would love to go to Bach's concert or CP's concert or Beethoven's concert. I'm sure they had some other notes sometimes that were equally killing. You know. Mm. In other words, the you know the scrolls we got from the mountain is not the end of the story. For, right. Yeah. What what in your mind gives you different choices than to address a chord? Meaning, it's as you said, it's not just C minor, D half diminished, G seven, C minor. Right. That's just something they had to write down. Let's. I'm exaggerating, but let's say that's something they had to write down to get the money. You know to. It's published. Yeah. This is what it is. This is a. It's like the art game. Like um, somebody asked a great poet after a poetry reading that he read of his own poems. They said, "Oh, that particular poem, the third one you read, was that a real poem or did you just make that up yourself?" And mm. you know, it was. That became like the joke question that he quoted for the rest of his life. But he himself, this was Robert Creeley said he knew at the time also that that was a very profound question, even though not the way the questioner meant it. Mm -hmm. It was a complete dumbass question, the way he meant it. But it is a profound, incredible art question. Yeah. And so a lot of this stuff, like softly as in a morning sunrise, that I was saying the chords, I mean, there's, <laughs> I, I just don't believe that that has to be, the A sections written yeah. in stone for, for a tune like that, let's say. Mm -hmm. I mean, Fall by Wayne Shorter, that's something different. Yeah, maybe. I was going to yeah. say, because I I have troubles sometimes if somebody asks me to write out a standard for them. Like I'm, I have my own concert series here and I usually put down, I put together new uh, uh, repertoires and new lineups each time. 
So I'll make out some songs that I want to learn myself and some songs that I have been transcribing over the years. And I usually transcribe originals and learn standards by heart. You know, mm -hmm. transcribe exactly. originals yeah. so I can bring them to a session and not expect somebody to know, you know, obscure uh, Andrew Hill songs or whatever, you know. Exactly. I, I, I want to have them written down and standards, I have trouble writing them down because I don't want to fix on a chord, chord progression. I want to. I don't want to. I don't want to say this is where it's at because I. I don't think it like that. I. I think more in functions, and in steps, you know, or movement or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. that gives me more options than to play different stuff. Yeah, yeah. Over yeah. it. Um, and and uh, so you feel the same way. I think so. If yeah. I understood you correctly, yeah. I, I have sometimes somebody asked me to write write down tenderly for me. Uh, and I, I will have problems <laughs> because I know what happens in my mind ever if, if I read chord changes sometimes or what can happen in the minds of uh, other people playing chord changes, reading chord changes. They might play the same stuff for each chorus if they're you yeah. know, less experienced or whatever. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm hesitant to write it down and just say, can you please just learn it and then we'll see what happens and try to that's why i think the the lyric thing is the greatest because if you just say oh yeah i'll write it out for you definitely and then you hand them the sheet of lyrics <laughs> they're they're at first going to think you're fucking with them or you're you're playing a holier than thou game and then that can be an opportunity for a discussion because i really do think that's enough i'm not i'm not trying to be old school or or say Jimmy Heath said that Ben Webster said yeah. that um, it's not that it's I just think that is the only important thing because even the melody will have to be bent to the situation mm -hmm. and then if the melody is being bent good god on tenderly I don't know if I'm going to play the four chord after the one chord I might stay on the one and let it be a minor depending yeah. on what the singer or the pianist does mm -hmm. of no clue I might have to play a third in the bass. I don't want to, but it might be necessary for whatever. Yeah. You can't write all that down on the paper. And, yeah. And it's not, those aren't high level decisions. That's just camping decisions, you know, <laughs> so that for sure. Mm. Wow. It's like if you're, you know, you're camping and one of your friends is a judgmental observant camper you know they're like oh so that's how you build a fire and you're like yeah it it is today with yeah. this wood in this place yeah that's how i feel about the tunes yeah that makes sense <laughs> no because if you write out the chords people are going to judge you or other pianists are going to be like oh really that's what that's what you think is the is the are the chord oh, okay all right okay no mm -hmm. okay You've asked me how I would like uh, people to to write down the, the chords for me or the what kind of information I would like to have. What would you like to have? I mean, I don't have any lyrics to my songs yet. So if I oh, yeah, if I would give point. you no, if no, I would give you my song, what would you like to see? Yeah, yeah. I, I was just talking about the standards. Sure, the, sure. Yeah, the, I, I was. Yeah, yeah. but um. I was just talking about the Jewish songs. No, um, the, uh, 
I, I want to see everything that the composer feels like writing because it's interesting. Because, for example, like um, Tom Harrell's a classic case of writing very, very specific voicings, as specific as he feels he wants to be very clear and helpful. But every time he solos, we're all listening like, what's he thinking about that chord? What does he think about that chord? I'm not like, I'm not sitting there like, oh, now I get a chance to hear Tom Harrell's opinion on A flat minor major over B flat. Like it, it isn't that at all. It's very much, is he thinking B flat seven? What the fuck is he thinking there? Uh, you know, and just every time he solos. And then I'm, and then I walk away from the gig like, yeah, he's thinking B flat seven. Can't wait till tomorrow night when he makes me confused again, depending on what he's going to play. Yeah. And that's great for the music, right? If if the band is listening to you that that closely, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, in other words, what I'm trying to say is it'll it'll happen by itself. It's like there's these people who are so interesting to listen to usually usually every part of it is interesting like yeah. if yeah i mean if he only wrote bass notes it would be interesting if he wrote no information it'd be interesting but none of them would be a winning move it's somehow if i know i'm definitely not answering the question i guess i just it's like we said about henry threadgill i i would like each composer to definitely do whatever the fuck they want and not feel pressured to surrender to Sibelius or Finale because, because, yeah. because, you know. Yeah. Because a lot of the charm in playing someone's music is liking to think you understand where they're coming from. And if if someone's trying to write as much information as possible, if it's a musician you, you care about, then that's charming that they're trying to write as much information as possible. If they're not giving you any information, that's also charming. The only thing that isn't charming is someone afraid of the rules. Mm. Then it creates a generic fear. And now you're just a generic replacement pianist, replacement bassist, whoever they could get. And the whole thing is some kind of faceless jazz cliche yeah. that is over before the concert ever starts and kind of very depressing. Mm. But that's also good because that's in a place like New York where you have a lot of that because you have a lot of everything. It's just one of the challenges to try to work with. Yeah, I mean, that was right. Uh when you said this, this was, it was uh, what, what, what came to mind, you know, a lot of situations I've heard and I've only visited New York two times, but I also see a lot of US musicians coming over here and sometimes it becomes faceless because you've, you get the feeling that's just one basis that was available for this job. Oh, for sure. For sure. No question. Um, I'm very much a part of that. Like I, and it, that's uh, depressing, but it's a reality and it's a, it's a challenge to, to either find something and learn from, or try not to continue being a part of that situation for everyone's benefit. Mm -hmm. Whenever that happens, I, 
I'll, I'll just be amazed and so grateful that there, anyone is even in the audience. I'm just like, why are you here on a Thursday night in September? That's incredible. That's far more interesting to me than the concert. It was like, how, how does that happen? that you think something is going to happen and you came out here. That's, that blows my mind. So. Mm. But what happens if uh, you have a specific idea for an ensemble, like the ensemble we talked about before, Yeah. and something gets in the way? I don't remember what you told me, why it fell through. Oh, just some business stuff. Oh, I see. Um And apparently you didn't do, you didn't do it with somebody else or sometime else because it, it had to be right for you also, right? Um, well, it was, there's a, it was a certain recovery that had to happen after, to get people like that in a, to get the schedule together for people like that took so much time and work. I see. I sort of had to recover um, both for myself, but also to give them a break of saying, Hey, you know, it's that guy again who said that we were going to record on this date with these people. And, uh, you were holding that date. Yeah. But you want to do it again? Like the boy who cried wolf or something, mm. you know? So I was, gotta figure that out. Yeah, I see. Uh, I was just going to ask you how, how would you feel on the other end of the spectrum when, uh, for some reason, one or two guys from the desired band of yours, can make it, uh, are you gonna just try it with somebody else? Or would you would you rather say, maybe this isn't the right time then? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I guess, um, I mean, there's no, what do they call it, B team? There's no B team for a band like that, but there are, uh, Yeah. But there's definitely other beautiful musicians that I like that that could easily do this um this sound idea I have under the poet, you know. Um well for sure, you know. Mm. So yeah, I call somebody else. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <a> short answer. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> I hope they can't make it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because sometimes I've, I, I, I think uh, getting a call where somebody has to cancel uh, your the commitment commitment can also be an opportunity for the music yeah. to be different, you know. Yeah, different, something different. Yeah. What were moments where uh, you were playing in a band that existed for a long time, or I mean, just a band and. Uh, People couldn't make it for a night, and somebody else stepped in and made you know made the music so much different, not better or worse, but just a, a special. Uh, it can be a special moment when somebody else steps in, has to look at the music during the sound check, and just makes everybody play different, differently. Can you yeah, we had. Oh. There's definitely some really interesting. I mean, that started when I first moved to New York just with me. Like, I I had a regular gig every Monday, and um, the minute any any bass... It was 
I don't know if there's still some scenes like this, but there used to be a lot of this in New York where somebody would have a regular gig. And if there were friends of friends or whatever, or some famous musicians, it was just a given that sitting in was okay. It was that kind of situation. And um, I don't know when that stopped happening. Maybe it still happens somewhere. But anyway, I would always have as many bass players that I, because I was new to New York also, come up and play. And oof. so it was it was me learning a ton, watching them do my, my regular gig. That was amazing. Um, then after that, there were some weird, odd moments with Kurt Rosenwinkel's regular gig at Smalls, especially when pianists would sit in, because was, that was before Kurt was playing piano sometimes in the band, and um, I just never even thought of piano in that music. Yeah. And one night, Brad sat in, and Kurt turns to him and, <laughs> and like respectfully, friendly says, well, would you like to play? You know, you're the one sitting in. Um, and Brad says, what was that uh, thing in three, four and E flat that you played in the first set? I love that. Yeah. And Kurt's just like, what? Can what you play Chivago? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we played Chivago and Brad oh, yeah. read it. That was, wow. Nice. That was a crazy moment <laughs> yep that is a special song i mean oh yeah, yeah 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 for sure i don't even remember if it's in e flat god I think it's, is it g flat i don't know yeah i think anyway. it's i think it's an e flat or g major g flat major but I okay think e flat yeah no it's if e, e, should be e flat i haven't looked at it in a long time or heard it in um <laughs> What were uh, some of the bases that that uh, stepped into your to your gig? Oh, uh, Scott Colley, Larry Grenadier, Ugana Okegwa, Ben Wolf, um, Phil Bowler. God, there's so many. Uh, and what was the band um, you were playing with? Oh, it was Raphael Delugov, who was the son, a piano player, the son of Art Delugov, the Village oh, Gate. Yeah, okay. Guy. Mm -hmm. And it was at the Village Gate. Wow, okay. That's interesting if somebody else takes over your part in a band and you oh, get man. to hear it. Yeah. That's another thing. Sorry, I come I come back to teaching all the time, but it's something that I've tried to do more with my teaching when people, when my students bring their songs that they write, I usually tell them to write it not down nicely and then give it to their peers to record it for them. So, oh, wow. you know, like to other fellow pianists in their class, you know, in their in their age group or something. Yeah, just oh, give it to cool. this guy and see how he plays your song because they they will know different voicings. They will know different. They have a different harmonic approach or whatever. Um, mm. And it will give you a good um, idea of how well your song is written down also and uh, what this voicing or this this chord symbol might bring to somebody else's mind when they read it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's cool. I'm gonna steal that idea. Thank you. <laughs> I just I just uh, thought of it. How was the how was the process with that with that group with uh, Kurt? I mean, you were you were playing each uh, Tuesday, you said. Every Tuesday, and it was it was great because we rehearsed a lot. Mm -hmm. which was really fantastic. 
like working on tunes or working on standards or working on concepts no, his, or his 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 just working on Kurt's compositions. Mm -hmm. And um, and Kurt Kurt has this really special vibe when you're rehearsing that um, that you feel like he's trying to figure out how to play it too, which is super inspiring to to not feel like everybody's got it all figured out and they're just waiting for you to learn the, you know, it's like, it's, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. A great energy for a band. Where do you think it comes from? I don't know. He's, he's, uh, I guess it's, I always thought of it as one of his gifts. He's, I really like his vibe in the studio too, as a producer type, mm -hmm. like he's got a great energy for, I don't know, somehow he just makes me feel like we're 10 years old and we're fucking around with dad's four track or something. Like mm -hmm. it, it's just nice. It's, it's, there's nothing, um, there's no funny ambition he has that I, that I don't want to be part of, like coming from, you know, like, oh, we're trying to fuck this up. Uh, or, oh, we're trying to make this real da da da. Or, yeah. It's, it, he's very open without making openness a special ethos or a cool thing. You know, mm. it's just simple and open and let's find some music. It's a great, great attitude. Somehow he makes you feel like playing, that's for sure. That's great. Yeah. Um, how was it to record the, the next step? That album. I I was a little stressed because um, I loved that band and I loved the gigs at Smalls, and I was stressed that to make sure we could capture it, that feeling on a record and not having it not have it be changed too much. Yeah. Yeah. How did how do you feel about the record? Did you listen to it? Again, I'm really bad with that. Uh, I should, I was thinking about it recently. I should listen to it. Um, I think I was, I was always afraid it would be like, not, um, you know, what happens sometimes with records, it's a little bit like closed in or something mm -hmm. like a, still hi-fi and polished, but not as something, something changes, but, uh, I guess enough time has gone by. I could listen to it. Yeah, yep. check it out. I love the music, so yeah, I should check it. It was a special record for me. Um, I, w I and I still remember when I first heard it, and I some somehow um, I not musically, but I connect this record with uh, Miles Davis' uh, "Fidi Kilimanjaro," only because. Um, I was visiting a friend of mine, a guitar player who was studying in Amsterdam and I was still in school, you know, I, I wasn't studying back then. So I was still in school visiting him and trying to uh, go to jam sessions with him and be in record stores all day and then see a concert at night and stuff like that. So I went to a record store and bought this Miles album that I didn't know before, you know. Uh, And it's my it's my favorite Miles album to this day. You know, I just kept listening to it, and he was like, "Yeah, but check this out." And you know, he would he would show me the next step, which was a big record wow. for his at him at that time. So we would 
we would listen back and forth between these two albums for you know and then he would go out and, and study in the in the conservatory and i would stay home it was just listen to that album to this album you know and so this is why I, wow i connect those two albums together so Jeez. so deeply that's know? awesome that it could even uh hold up uh, Fide Kalamanjaro is unbelievable. Oh, it's yeah. like a record just just visiting this planet. There's no other record like that. No. Or for any of those guys. And, yeah. And what the fuck? Have you ever played one of those pianos, that RMI piano? Do I don't you know like what the sound is. of that piano? It's, it's so like, weird. I uh, I mean... It's very strange. Yes. Horace plays it on a record, too. Oh. Or a couple records, yeah, around that same time. Oh, I have to check that out. Which which, uh, which uh, record is this? Ooh, I don't know if it's the Pursuit of the Twenty Seventh Man or I I don't remember. I'll I'll find out. But um, yeah, when I first heard the record, I was like, whoa! They couldn't rent a Wurlitzer. Or yeah, a yeah, so, yeah. You serious? Yeah. I mean, it's it's on Frelon Brun and it's on uh, uh, Betty Mabry. Uh, that or is it only on those two tracks? I think so. Let's see. Okay. So we have Philom Brun, we have Petite Machine. Never know how Little to... stuff. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. I think Freelon Brun is little stuff, huh? Isn't it? Oh no, is it... that's Brown Hornet is Freelon Brun. A little stuff is Petite Machine, yeah. And then yeah. Um, there's Toot, Toot Sweet. Right. And then there's Fidi Kilimanjaro, but that's this and is Abby. with Herbie on, on Rhodes. Right. Wow, that's such an unbelievable track. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. And I oh, think, have you heard? Yeah. Have you heard the Herbie demos on Spectrosonic's uh, Keyscape? For the Fender Rhodes. There's one for Fender Rhodes and there's one for the piano. I'm not sure. I mean, I I, I know the Fender Rhodes uh, demo where he kind of shows this instrument and talks about oh, it. Oh, I haven't seen that. I'm just talking about on the Spectrosonics website. There's a bunch of audio demos. Oh, no. Yeah, I hadn't, I didn't know about it either. Uh, I just went the other day and uh, everybody else gets a, plays a lot of tracks, but Herbie just plays a couple and whew, he's not holding back. I mean, artistically, he's taking his time. It's like, it's almost that beautiful kind of embarrassment, like he just sounds alone, you know, in his mm -hmm. room or something. It's fucking incredible. Can you <laughs> so, send this to me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. It's so unbelievable. I've learned a lot from from these weird um, uh, little little videos where Herbie's checking out uh, a specific uh, keyboard on uh, on the internet or something. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Because um, one of my, my biggest uh, revelations from that, because there was a time when I would check every day. You know, of course, I have all his records and all the Sidemen records and books about him and stuff like that. That all I, I knew it, but I was checking every day on YouTube if there's a new record or something. Uh, not oh a, wow! A new record, but new video. So. Right. I would also find these weird uh, demo videos of him checking out his synthesizer or something. So yeah. uh, w I'm very interested in when somebody picks up a new instrument, they sometimes play the same stuff. 
like the mm -hmm. you know I'm sure you play it might be the same for you if you are on tour and it's based to jour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the stuff that you play in the first 30 seconds of discovering a bass might be similar to the next day because you want to see what how the mm -hmm. stuff that's familiar to you sounds on a different instrument. Yeah. So hearing Herbie play some the first couple of chords that he would play checking out a, a, a keyboard usually mean a lot to me because I, I have to check out which chord these these are because these are the, this is yeah. the stuff that is very familiar to him so familiar yeah. that he yeah. needs to hear is this is on different instances instances and instruments to to then figure out how they sound how they feel yeah 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 which is funny because he uh the guys he mentions as harmonic influences um are really that way big time like uh chris fisher. anderson and claire fisher chris anderson yeah they definitely have their go-to i don't want to say tricks because it sounds diminutive but yeah beautiful tricks i mean yeah. and, but, but also chris will surprise you all the time of course Absolutely. and claire sometimes also but, yeah but yeah But I, I love that aspect of, I love, you know, these voicings, even if it's a major seven sharp five that many other people might use, the way that they love it is like so. Yeah, they use it in, in, uh, in moments where we, we all wouldn't think of it. Well, know? Herbie, for sure. But, yeah. but I mean, Claire uses that um, um, James P. Johnson to Duke, I mean, uh, uh, who's the other guy that Duke likes so much? Um, always had a cigar. Um, Fats Waller? No. No, he's the, uh, oh, man, what's his name? Uh, but I'll think of it, but he does that, um, that dominant chord with the third below the fourth, the fourth oh, right. is an octave. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and it's a five chord. And mm -hmm. Claire uses it exactly the way Duke uses it, exactly the way this guy yeah. and also James P. And Monk yeah. uses it also, yeah. yeah. And they all use it the same way, and it's killing every time. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. also... And then, yeah, Herbie and Chris will subvert the stuff mm -hmm. or do a pedal that you think isn't going to work. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, what's, um, I think we touched a little bit on that already, but, um, maybe in the last couple of days, um, uh, Willie, the lion Smith, sorry, Willie, the lion Smith. Oh yeah. yeah that's sorry. Yeah. So what were you going to say? Uh, oh man, that makes me think of this one track of his that I would, I had on repeat for a long time last year in closing, um, in the last couple of days, what were the most inspiring things that you've heard? Yeah, a couple of days. That's a lot. Um, some I find these gear demos sometimes on YouTube of a, a low-pass gate or a synthesizer or something, some minutia, and I just can't believe... It has 47 views or something, and I save all the ones that touch me and then sometimes put them in um, VLC player or something or make a playlist and just put it on. And invariably, my wife will be like, what What the hell is that? Wow, that's beautiful. What is that? And uh, she'll never believe me that I'm like, oh, it's a gear demo. And so these underground 
heroes to me on YouTube who maybe weren't even trying to make a great piece of music, but it's just, wow. I've had a bunch of those the last two days. Wow. And also um, a couple of um, soundtrack composers that I never heard of before that kind of. Like who? Yeah, those fucking Italians again. It's always them. No, not always, <laughs> but um, Carlo Rusticelli. Have you ever heard of him? No. Yeah, oh, yeah me neither. It's just like, uh, wow. And, um, oh, have you have you heard that the Courteau little teaching staged teaching video where he's teaching a student to play the Schumann voice of the poet better? It's it's clearly staged, but um, he takes over from the student and starts ah. singing and playing and saying what that's on YouTube also. I I wish I could remember the German, uh, the poet sings or the poet spricht yeah. is the yeah. But it does sound okay, familiar. I think I've I've seen him teaching. Great. I'll I'll look at it again. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Well, this was Ben, this was quite a. Awesome. And it's Thanks for great. being a problem. Yeah, I'm glad you were part of this now. <laughs>